0: Welcome to episode 38 of the Wake Up Podcast. And I have my good friend with me here, Max Hillebrand, um, who works at Wasabi. That's my pathetic attempt at a German fucking pronunciation of a surname. Um, free software entrepreneur. Um, we, we've we met a couple times now, and he's um, he's someone who I think has been a radical Bitcoiner in... In every sense of the word, for for quite a while, and um, and yeah, man, pleasure to have you on.
1: Yeah, dude, Alex, man, thanks very much uh for letting me on the show. Because, uh, like, uh, funnily enough, I didn't get the wake up podcast up like until somewhat recently, a couple months ago, and mm-hmm. then I stumbled upon your archive and was like, well, oh, damn, like everything is interesting. And then I listened to pretty much everything by now. Uh and <laughs> seriously, man, you're rocking it. Like you're one of the podcast hosts who doesn't give a shit and to speaks truth as it is. Uh and that's very rare uh and very much appreciated. So so always great questions and great insights.
0: I appreciate that man. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't locked me up yet and put me in one of Creedy's black bags.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's dude. Dude, V for oh, Vendetta God. is a predictive documentary uh of the years 2020 and following. It's scary, man. It's spot on. Every single thing. It is.
0: It is. It's literally step by step, man. It's fucking wild to watch like and 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 how close it is to reality today. It's just it's just eerie. Like I can't it's funny in in the in the description of my podcast, you know, I, I think it says, um, you know, the world is largely asleep, blah 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 blah, and I talk about what we talk about. Um, you know, sort of this is a podcast about, you know, philosophy and psychology and Bitcoin anthropology and all these sort of uh, principles and concepts. But at the at the end of it, the final paragraph says something along the lines of um, the point of this podcast is to wake people up so that um, uh, works like uh, V for Vendetta. Uh, don't become um, documentaries and stay in the realm of fiction that it's actually in in the in the description of my thing but
1: and i, and I didn't read that but it's spot on
0: <laughs> unfortunately everyone's asleep so no one's waking up fucking hell yeah <laughs> the goddamn v for vendetta is becoming real
1: yeah, yeah. But your title uh, of, of the podcast really, you know, hits to the point like that's that's mainly the reason like, uh, you know, <laughs> wokeness has has kind of been uh, like misdrewed with with a lot of this, yeah. this green hippie mindset. Um, yeah. But I mean, to to be awake, right, to 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 live, to act, to be a human uh, is is all fundamentally entwined. Uh, and so, yeah, like if you don't wake up, oh, you're not really a, a human in that sense.
0: Oh, man, we it's it. I, I made an analogy actually, and we're sort of going off on a tangent here, but let's just go. I made an analogy as a tweet storm, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and I said Hollywood's been making zombie apocalypse movies for you know decades now, and you know it, it was it was almost their zombie apocalypse stuff was right. You know, it's it's a except the real world zombie apocalypse that we got is like a like a pathetic version of it, you know? So, so we've got mindless idiots running around, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're suffering from a virus of, you know, called stupidity um, and conformity. They're mindlessly, you know, sucking the brains out of everybody else around them. So everybody else, you know, puts on their, you know, stupid mask and, you know, conforms and listens. So it's like, we're literally living in the zombie apocalypse. It's like, we're surrounded by mindlessness. We're surrounded by stupidity. It's fucking spreading. Um, But it's just, it's not as bloody and violent as uh, Hollywood portrayed. Like, it's just strange.
1: Yeah, right. Zombies are basically unproductive people, uh, people who don't think for themselves and who don't act and who don't build anything, but just destroy and <laughs> consume. <right>? <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to the, uh, you know, the 20th and 21st century society where almost nothing productive has been built and uh, just have been leeching off the wealth of others uh, and you know, somewhat well, surviving as, uh, as a species, but for sure not thriving. Uh, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's sad
0: yeah we've got this sort of capital base that uh, has been built up over over millennia uh, through trial and error through you know the the desire of human beings to innovate you know through the productive capacity of you know individual individuals that have come together, and you know i mean that that still obviously lives on right but the thing is that the the parasitic nature of you know, modernity and modern zombies is one that, like you said, doesn't add to that uh, productive capacity. It just it leeches from that. It sucks from that. It you know it it consumes it. And we you know I think we've genuinely come to a place where the size of the the parasite now is potentially too large for it to continue feeding on the the remaining capital maybe not the remaining capital base because there's quite a bit of a capital base left but at least it's become too big to feed on the remaining uh humans that are left that are not zombies that are actually you know trying to build on that capital base so, so we're actually now depleting things and you know this this doesn't have a a pretty a pretty outcome at all
1: yeah absolutely right? And it's not just about depreciating the capital stock that is in existence, right? that That is the zine, right? We see all the businesses closing down, right? And um, but there is a massive unseen part to this entire equation, right? And that is the lost opportunity that we would have had if we had the capital mm-hmm. to invest, right? And to mm-hmm. build something, mm-hmm. right? So not just do we see the capital diminishing, literally, we also see the opportunity cost of what could have been, right? Where we could have been now, what, what types of capital we could have accumulated and the technologies that we've we could have refined uh, and improved upon right and and the wisdom that we would have left uh is is unfortunately well gone like this opportunity has been wasted over the last hundreds of years uh and now it's the time to somewhat clean up right and to make sure that from the future actually focus on what is important
0: yeah you you actually touched on two threads i want to pull there is um that is a really good point. The the idea of the the lost opportunity or the opportunity cost, and and I actually I was hanging out with this girl the other night, and you know she 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 was young, I think twenty three, twenty four, or whatever, and um and she was just mentioning to me that you know I asked her what were your plans for twenty twenty, and you know it, it's interesting to see how younger people really, well, at least the cohort of younger people that I've seem to have been meeting. uh uh, against all of these stupid lockdowns and things like that because they're fundamentally it's not that it's oh it's just a couple weeks or you know turned into you know a whole year but it's it's somebody who's 23 years old will never be 23 years old again and will never get that year of their life back again and imagine what you know that person could have done throughout that year, could have experienced, could have learned, could have created, you know, could have, could have thrived for. um, But, you know, that was sort of stolen from them by a group of moronic uh, bureaucrats who couldn't tell their ass from their face. And when you, when you multiply that across millions and billions of people, this has been a catastrophe, like particularly like, I mean, we we've seen multiple catastrophes along the way but you know I, I think the last 12 months has been such an accelerated catastrophe in terms of lost opportunity and lost productivity and lost potential um i mean and it's not to to elevate you know the 23 and 24 year olds it's also imagine being imagine being 82 years old and you're in your last couple of years of life you don't know if you're going to die this year next year or the year after but you spend the last fucking year of your life locked up inside afraid by yourself away from family like what in the fuck did you live for for the last 80 years to not be able to have a choice to say hey if i want if i want to go out and venture out into this unknown area of you know we're all going to die from a virus well fuck i can choose to do that if i want um, but no we've we've stripped them we've stripped everybody at every layer of society from the capacity to choose for themselves. And I, I think it's fucking disgusting. So, um,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I it's devastating on. for those sure. people who, who don't actually yeah. have that much of a life left, right? Who only have a couple uh, days or years. Um, uh, and this is horrible. I mean, you know, the, the dignity to die in peace with your family and your loved ones beside mm-hmm. you is something like very human, right? Uh, and that is being taken away. Like mm-hmm. I, I hear so many stories of, of old people being in, in some elderly home or hospital and literally it, it being forbidden to get any visitors, right? Uh, on their deathbed. Uh, and even friends of mine broke into uh, the property of the, host- or of the senior home and then stood outside on the window, right? Um, <laughs> just to, you know, knock and wave. Uh, and they made a picture of of the grandpa sitting in there, just you know, devastated, completely like broken, uh, because he could not fathom why his family is is not coming inside to to greet him and to hug him and to be with him, right? Which is which is ridiculous. And and then, well, sadly, he died just uh, shortly after that, without you know having the the comfort of his family and his loved ones. It's it's so anti human this in, this entire mm. thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, human humans are. It's funny, it's even in the words, right? Humans are social creatures. Like, what makes us different uh, to all the other species is our capacity to to be social um, and to use that social element and our capacity to create, you know, these abstractions in order to cooperate and things like that. We 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 literally. St- crushing the heart of that social capacity for humanity by being uh, socially distanced <laughs> it's like it's anti-social like I said, it's anti-human it's
1: yeah right? anti-human and you know for for how long did we have the tradition to invite strangers as guests under your roof and offer them salt and bread right mm, and some mm, water mm. like hey i mean like you know the guest right, and and what that means is is such a such a beautiful concept, right? To to trust strangers and invite them into your home and and care for them, right? And help them out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's literally illegal now. You can no longer invite strangers and offer them food because well, you're a restaurant, and fuck you. That's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's tragic. Fuck. Tragic is the word,
0: man. Jesus Christ. So, I guess so, such a I don't know. It, it feels like i've I've obviously been bashing this topic on you know publicly in the podcast and privately as i'm sure you have as well and it's like it's it it as you said it's tragic it's devastating um to see and and sort of you know what seems to make it worse is you know these people who act like they care um but want to see more of this isolation and separation and uh lockdowns and removing the capacity for you as an individual to choose sort of what you can do with and you know with your own body and it's like it it really is yeah disappointing like i think it's a disappointing time to be a human (laughs) in that sense but at the same time what gives me hope And, and and almost like the idiot's sort of perpetrating this, whether intentionally or just through sheer stupidity, because I think a lot of it is just sheer stupidity. It's like people sort of caught by the virus of hysteria, just reacting out of fear and mindlessness as opposed to thinking through things. But what, what, it's, what it's inadvertently doing is sort of separating, you know, the world into two broad classes, which is zombies and humans. Um, and, and it feels like to me sort of the humans are all converging around uh, things that are that are real i I know last time we caught up uh a beautiful part of europe you know you guys were sort of doing stuff to to make yourself more self-sufficient and you know a lot of bitcoin is doing stuff like that and and actually being human as opposed to being uh mindless zombies and i think one of the things that's at the locus of this which is obviously at the locus of your life my life this podcast and all sorts of stuff um is bitcoin uh, because it, you know, like I mean, I, I, I quoted this in a in an article that I wrote, I think a couple months ago. Is, you know, I, I call Bitcoin the Renaissance of responsibility, and and I think without responsibility, uh, you you can't have humanity. Like that that that's the very thing. Like the ability to to be responsible as an individual, as a human, as a as a sovereign entity, um, is. What makes you human? What makes you alive?
1: Um, so... well, well, I, I, I mean, I, th- I think there's just no way that you can get out of responsibility. Like, your actions have consequences per the definition of what an action is, right? Uh, and you don't get around that. And every action that you make will have a consequence manifesting in this world. And it will affect you very much, right? Especially you, because you were the one causing the action. Uh, so it's, yeah, Bitcoin... Uh, it's a renunciation of that that fact and an embracement of it right to to say yes, it's my responsibility to choose in what monetary currency I want to get paid in, and well, I'm going to make a, a reasonable and a responsible choice right for something that will bring prosperity, not just to myself right, uh, which is obviously important uh, but also to all my peers in the network right? uh, and I mean you know if if you look at it from that light, just using fiat currencies, getting paid in fiat is absolutely irresponsible and you will have to live with the consequences and what we see in 2020 are the consequences of hyperinflation mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. tyrannical mm-hmm. overstepment and fascist regimes voila gets you every time print money fascist dictators yeah. like yeah. clockwork yeah. right yep. so you will have to live with the responsibilities uh, or sorry with the consequences of choosing the euro uh, and well you know by choosing bitcoin you do Alleviates that uh, bad karma to a great extent. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That, that's, that's a good point. Have, have you read um, When Money Dies? Yeah, okay. I, I just finished it. And, and it's just so eerie to to read that book uh, now. I mean, I, I listen to it on audiobook, but same shit. And it, it's just, you know, p- people sort of have this idea that Hitler just turned up one day. Uh, and it's like, well, th- no, that's not how it actually worked. Is that. All of these shenanigans happened beforehand, which created the, you know, it created a fertile ground for that kind of a person to rise up. And initially he was a fucking national hero because everything else was such a clusterfuck beforehand that people were begging for somebody with something um, solid to say. um, And they were looking for someone or something to blame, but because people don't, you know, we've, economics and just economics one oh one has been brainwashed out of us and just you know the not understanding the basics of how you know the, the 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 theft that is inflation operates um you know people then go and blame that group in Jews. the gypsies, you know it's this people. And and, and that's very visible to do so. So it's like we're doing that now. But now sort of the, the Jews are Um, you know, either white people or, uh, you know, people who don't want to fucking wear a mask um, or people who don't want to get jabbed with something that they don't need. It's like, we're sort of the new class of these Jews. And and I actually also think that Bitcoin is in some capacity, like for me, as I was listening to, to that book and thinking about, you know, those people who made good decisions during that inflationary period um, and sort of managed to, to, subsist some of you know uh, to maintain sorry some of their wealth and even get wealthier in that period they got blamed for it when it wasn't them that created the problem they just were intelligent enough to position themselves to be beneficiaries of the clusterfuck and in a way that's what bitcoin is out today like we are going to get disproportionately wealthy because we have put in the work to understand what bitcoin is and i i, I fear that you know the new class of um Particularly, the new class of like Jew call it will be, will be bitcoins, um, and, and I think that's dangerous.
1: Oh yes, absolutely right. Uh, the the result of socialism is a, a great amount of envy uh, and jealousy. Uh, mm-hmm. and pity, right. Um, not, int- not nice character traits, uh, but they do manifest like, you know, if, 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 if the stigma is everyone must be equal, right. Uh, and those who are more productive should give to those who are less productive. Right. Well, if someone is very productive, then why hasn't he given his way, his wealth away? Right. Why is that guy uh, thriving at my expense? Right. I could be the one having a bit more comfortable life just if he sacrifices it for the greater good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, and and absolutely, that will come to Bitcoiners, very, very much so, uh, especially, you know, the early Bitcoiners, uh, and I consider this right now still pretty much the early phase, right? Um, yeah, as you said, massive capital protection, right? Actual capital accumulation, right? You get more Bitcoins every day, but most people don't even have a single Satoshi yet, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. like, th- this wealth discrepancy will continue at an exponential rate, Um and sure, for, for those in a Bitcoin mindset, that's awesome, right? As, as, as everyone accumulates more capital, we get to build more awesome shit in the future, right? That's great. Right. Um, but of course, if you have that fiat mindset, that communist mindset, where, oh, look at these guys thriving over here while I'm in the shit, right? barely being able to afford some bread right? <laughs> or some shitty soy burger, <laughs> like it's, uh, it's going to spite a lot of jealousy. Uh, and you're going to have to deal with that and especially protect yourself from all the zones zombies coming after your Bitcoin hoard.
0: Yeah, man, this this shit's going to get real. Uh, this is a beautiful segue into part of what I wanted to discuss today, which is sort of Bitcoin privacy, because that's one of the, I guess, if you look at the OODA loop, that's one of the tools that you use beforehand to, to protect yourself. But before we go in there, I actually want to talk a little bit about the breadcrumbs or or the the ingredients or the events or the, The things that helped prime you, because I think what? What are you now? Like sort of mid twenties, roughly, yeah, somewhere in that range.
1: Yeah, I think twenty four. But who's counting? (laughs) Bodily age is so boring. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, man. Well, look, I for me, I I thought you were much older, honestly, when we caught up. Like I was like, "Fuck this guy's, you know, around my age," and I'm an old fart, so I'm almost ten years older than you. Um, So for, for me, I'm I'm really curious how. What, what the breadcrumbs were for someone your age to have come to understand Bitcoin, but fr- from the, the the strong principles that you understand it, because there's a lot of young guys who are into Bitcoin, but they're sort of in it for the tech or in it for the trading. And, you know, they, they sort of don't get the raison d'etre. Like you, your your personality and your, um, I guess, your your stand on Bitcoin seems to align far more with, People that are a little bit more of my generation, you know, like me, Hoddle, fucking Francis, um, you know, Safe. Like we're we're sort of of, of that slightly older generation, um, born in the eighties, etc. That that kind of ha- have a foot in both worlds. So, so yeah. To talk me talk me through your journey, man. When you were younger and these ingredients, yeah, I'm super curious.
1: Yeah. So, like the the person who probably mostly influenced that from an early age was of course my mom. Uh, and mm. uh, because she had. Somewhat intuitively, but not even like in your face articulated. But she had very anarchist principles and lived that, um, Mm -hmm. and lived the education based on that. It was it was always about oh you know do your own thing if you want to do something we'll go ahead and try right Uh, like apply yourself and and figure it out. Um, But also combine that with the consequences right Uh, like if you but if you make a shitty choice well. You're gonna have to deal with it and and own it right and uh, and, and be there and fix it um and, and like one specific thing that comes in mind was just you know I've like I was never lacking any like food nourishment shelter all all the basic needs were very much covered of course by the family but you know all these extra luxury goods like new toys right fancy things that I wanted to buy um uh, were something that I had to buy for myself, right? I, I had to somehow figure out how to get it, right? My parents weren't just going to gift it to me randomly just because I wanted it. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, that was so important because I, I always had this, and I still do, that for the things that I really want, I have a very high time preference. Like I want them and I want them now, right? Um, and this is something that if, if left un- unchecked, right, will ruin you. If you just buy every plastic crap that comes to your mind, you're going to be a poor bastard really quick, right? Um, so so like the, the way that my mom kind of made me realize this, this uh, like that decrepancy was just, well, if you want something, earn some money and buy it for yourself, right? And all of a sudden it was not just, oh, I have this wishing fountain where I can just say I want to have the latest something and I'm going to get it magically. It's like, no, if I, if I want it, I have to work for it right? And, and actually be productive and help others, right? So from a very early age, I think nine or something, 10, uh, I, I started having jobs just to earn money, right? Um, and uh, then this interesting thing happened that all of a sudden, I I calculated like, oh, like, it took me so long just to get that amount of money. Do I really want to spend it on this worthless piece of shit? Mm-hmm. Right? That, like, do I really want to have it? Um, most often, the answer was no. Like, I Like, I worked my ass off for this. It took me forever. I'm not just going to waste that. It's like this good that I want to buy is not, not the best thing that I can do, right? There's something better that I can buy maybe in the future, right? And mm-hmm. so this aspect of being productive, right, being an entrepreneur, helping others and earning money for that with the intent to ultimately save it uh, to, you know, do some cool things in the future. Uh, this was something that I just lived as a child, uh, based on on that well free earn it uh, attitude.
0: Yeah, interesting. So, I I've got a saying that not many people know, but um, I mean, the, the, sorry, many people know, but not many people have heard me say. But it's I wrote it in like a really long piece, which is I you know people say money is the root of all evil, which I think is just absolute stupidity. The root of all evil, I believe, is entitlement. Um, you know the or or i call it the coveting of someone else's shit basically so so wanting someone else's crap um or wanting someone else's stuff um or wanting the product of someone else's labor you know the the the, the idea of entitlement for something that you didn't have to earn i actually think is genuinely the root of all evil like that's where everything um falls apart now I'd be curious to sort of hear your thoughts on that, but you know, your thing that you just mentioned there is that the fact that you had to earn things built this foundation uh, of, you know, I guess responsibility uh, for you at at a young age. And I I just, I think today we're just drowning in uh, people who believe that they're entitled to someone else's ship. And like, I think that this is sort of one of the strongest arguments against democracy is democracy is a system which gives you permission to believe that you have the right to mandate or dictate or have a say in what somebody else should do with their stuff. And that's why I think democracy is such a fucking cancer. Um, You know, it's just some people call it a light form of communism, but I, I think it's actually a more insidious form because you know communism collapses quickly whereas uh democracy eats the 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 heart out of the the victim which is society over a much longer period of time and then you know the thing catastrophically fails but you know i'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about um entitlement and
1: how that's yeah Uh, I I very much agree with you, but I would like to to draw one nuance uh, that I think Mm -hmm. is also down your alley. And that is that, you know, seeing that someone else has cool stuff and being like, and thinking for yourself, oh, wow, that's awesome. Like that solves the problem that I have. I want to have that too, right? I want the same problem fixed, right? Um, That aspect, I think, is very human. Right. again we're we're social creatures and we do interact with others and we we perceive others right we see them manifest themselves and how mm-hmm. they act right and um I think there's nothing wrong with taking uh that uh, inspiration right of someone else taking the idea of someone else right taking the technology that someone else is using right or the approach the methodology right and uh, if it works for yourself to apply that too right so if we're talking about non-scarce goods of information, right? Uh, here, absolutely, copy your neighbor, right? As much as you want, especially if your neighbor is doing a good job at what he wants to do, right? <laughs> then, for sure, like copy him uh, and and figure it out if you can apply the same thing in in your actions. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, where there is a hard line is when we're talking about scarce goods. It's goods that actually have a conflict, right? Um, so, like with an idea, right? If if I want to wear a black t-shirt too, and I get that idea in my head, well, I will just put it on, um, uh, like, and I didn't take the idea of wearing black shirts uh, from Alex, but if we're talking about actually taking the black shirt, right, I rip it off Alex's body just because I want to have the exact same shirt that he has, all of a sudden we have a conflict, right? Who will, you will use the scarce resources according to their own will, right? Um, And because of that conflict, well, property rights come in to solve this conflict on a large scale, right? But again, it, it only comes in on scarce goods, uh, not on Mm -hmm. the non-scarce goods of information. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Very, very good nuance. Yeah. So I guess, uh that that's a perfect bit of colouring because yeah when, when i think about coveting someone else's stuff yeah my my interpretation of that is to take somebody else's thing but yeah that that's a very good delineation is um real scarce goods versus things that are you know idea or meta based or um or copyable or replicatable, um because a a nice
1: way to to look at that distinction is a good that you can give to someone else without sacrificing the benefit of it for yourself. mm -hmm, Right? mm -hmm. Because that's for example with the t-shirt, right? Either you wear it, but if you want to give me that t-shirt, right, then you have to sacrifice it and you run around naked. Right. Mm -hmm,
0: While with mm -hmm. an
1: idea, the words that I give you right now Sure, you have them and you benefit from them, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't give them up. Like the pieces of information mm-hmm. that I just spoke, I don't suddenly forget, right? Uh, that's not how informations work. So there is no sacrifice for sharing. And mm-hmm. therefore, well, why make it difficult to share if it's just free, free for everyone?
0: Interesting. And that makes everything better, yeah. So so that that actually digs into the whole IP discussion, which I'm also sure you've got a, um, a strong position on. So I'm actually going to add that here to our notes because... Um... Um, I think that is a brilliant area of discussion. But let, let's let's stick with the breadcrumbs thing. So, having to be responsible, um, having to create your own things, you know, and that that's sort of teaching you the value of uh, delayed gratification, and and, and you know the value of savings effectively. Like, you know, I, I think civilization is impossible without the capacity to save. And it's not, I think it's actually, that that's a fact, you know, we, we can't, we can't move forward without actually building some sort of capital base. So other than that, what, what, what was some of the other later uh, breadcrumbs for you? Like, was there, you know, particular works or, you know, books or ideas or things that inspired that sort of helped plant the seeds for you?
1: I, I think that other big seed is curiosity in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that mm-hmm. is very much tied into my early entrepreneurial activity, right? Because, well, w- once I figured I want something and I got to work for it, then I was like, well, how do I work most efficiently? Like, how do I not waste my time, basically? Right? Uh, I was curious about entrepreneurship, right? Uh, how do I solve the problems for others profitably so well that I gain from it and benefit long term? Um, and, they didn't teach that in school, right? Uh, especially not like in in basic schools, um, like uh, at young ages. So I was like, okay, well, if they're not going to teach me here, I have to look for that information somewhere else and try to figure it out. All right? So I I did go down the economics rabbit hole, also at a very early age, just because well, I wanted to discover it. Um, and then here, funnily, of course, obviously, right? First, you read the mainstream and you get the the latest textbooks on macroeconomics and shit like this right and and i try to read it and like listen to like videos and stuff like this but uh it just i was like something is off like it doesn't make sense like i don't get it but uh there like either i'm too stupid to understand it or something is just really horribly off um and i could never really articulate what exactly it was because what they wrote on paper made sense in the paper like it was, it was a well-articulated model, and the, the the stuff inside the model, well, was working. Yes, but I was like, this entire model doesn't make sense. Like, this is this does not solve the problems that I want to have. For how can I, as an entrepreneur, you know, be better? It doesn't say anything about that, um, and that's what led me down to more well fringe ideas in the economics field, um, until eventually discovering Mises uh, uh, through the Mises Institute. Um, and Austrian economics and praxeology. Uh, and that influenced my thinking greatly um, with with like finding a methodology that was actually useful, right? not just some mm-hmm. Keynesian bullshit models about aggregates where I don't know what the aggregate consumer base is. I don't know. I deal with people. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden comes Mises and writes this beautiful piece called Human Action where he builds – you know, not just economic thought, but he builds an entire view of life, right? In, in one beautiful book that starts with the simple assumption, right? With, with like an unquestioned fact that, well, humans exist, right? Like individuals are here, right? I, the individual, exist and, you know, I, I do stuff, right? Uh, like I, I have problems. Uh, Mises says I live in times of uncertainty. Right, um, or, and I'm in a state of uneasiness. Right, there are there are things that I like that are bugging me. Things that I would like to improve. I'm hungry. Right, <laughs> as simple as that. Um, and then comes the beautiful thing, like the that genius spark of the entrepreneur, right, who lives in the state of suffering, but who has that the genuine strive to find a solution. Right, to imagine a better world where the problem no longer exists. Right? and not just to imagine it and to think it which in and of itself that creativity is genius right but to act upon it right and to change his miserable ass right now in order to get to that point in the future that he thinks is better like this is this is exactly how humans work right um in and so many many aspects and w- once you understand that methodolo- methodological approach right to start with assumptions and then to build logically on top of them right And if you have good assumptions and good reasoning, you're going to get to some really insightful things. And because it's based on individuality, everything will be useful for you because, well, you are an individual,
0: right? Mm. Man, that, that brought chills down my spine then. It's like, you know, so many people have said it in so many different ways. It's like, you know, entrepreneurs are the lifeblood of industry and entrepreneurs are the lifeblood of the economy. But it's like entrepreneurship and the the idea of creating something from nothing is the lifeblood of existence. That, that's what human beings are. We are creatures that solve problems. We are all entrepreneurs in some way, shape or form. And, you know, that that like human action lays out the case that we are all acting towards uh, bettering our ends or bettering, you know, bettering our circumstances in some way, shape or form. We're all moving towards that. And, and, the, the, the question of better is a subjective one, which is, you know, what might be better for me might not be better for you. And, and if we can sort of come to terms with that, you know, we, we can sort of, and if we can, you, you know, use empathy and, and understand different people, maybe what we can do is align what's better for us with others. And, you know, we create a, a solution to a problem that might ail multiple people. And, and that's, That's the genesis of society that's the genesis of everything it's what we do
1: yeah absolutely right and i like that it is based just on you know just on the individual the entire thought is is works if you look at the isolated individual right and Mm -hmm. that's beautiful like it's like you solve problems for yourself right obviously but that's that's why you do anything right to solve problems for yourself right? Mm-hmm. Some people might call that selfish. I called it human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the beautiful thing is that this, this aspect of fixing the problems for yourself actually incentivizes you to work with others, right? Mm-hmm. Just alone for the fact that if you solve the problem for someone else, right, he's going to be better off, right? He has a problem that he now has dealt with, right? It's, it's gone and he's in a better situation, which means he can in turn solve a problem for you, Right? And, and can do it so like uh, much much more efficient, right? If you have smart peers around you, like people who who, who thrive and to actually create something, right? Who, who fix problems, well, they're gonna fix your problems too, right? Uh, at, at least some of them. Uh, and this this is just a very like although it's fundamentally based in the individual, it's a very social socially coherent and like very beautiful uh, aspect.
0: funny like as we're talking about this i'm thinking you know pe- people call us the radicals <laughs> it's like you know how dare you be so selfish to, to want to make things better it's 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 strange
1: yeah right and, so... and just that aspect of, of being radical i mean you know the assumption of the thought that we're laying out here is individuals exist right and they act their time exists right mm-hmm. these are the two basic assumptions that we have individual exists, Mm -hmm. time exists. Now, Mm -hmm. let's look at it in like lights of communism, right? Or Keynesian economics, same shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Collectives exist and there is no such thing as time, right? Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. I mean, you see it in statements like, oh, national debt is just money that we owe to ourselves, right? So stupid. I mean, so stupid. Who is we and who is ourselves, right? Collective thinking. right? Individuals are nowhere near in that statement. This is just collectives act somehow. And when we take something from the right side of the pocket uh, of the collective and we put it in the left side of the collective, it doesn't matter. It's still all in the collective. We're still all a, a jolly happy bunch. right? Um, and, and further, right? debt has a timing aspect of it. It's not just money that you owe to yourself, even in that analogy. It's money that you, you yourself today owe to yourself in the future. right? That's what debt is about. Um, and that is also completely neglected in this thought. And in the entire Keynesian thinking, like interest rate has nothing to do with time. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and you see that just this model is is a myth. It's an absolute myth. Guess what? Collectives do not exist. Right. Uh, and time does exist. Right. The assumptions of the entire model are useless, completely ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Anything that you will build on top with such a mindset will be wrong, just flat out wrong.
0: So then that that sort of brings me to where we are now then. So you know, I think reality we can't escape reality, right? So it's despite us building models, which are completely um, devoid of any uh, roots into reality, so like Keynesianism or Communism or these ideas that you know the collective exists and that time doesn't exist, et cetera. Um, you know, and, and these sorts of models are what uh, bureaucrats and central bankers and everything try and adapt their, uh, their rules or their mandates or their fiat decrees towards. But at the same time, because reality does exist and because we as individuals live in the material world uh we live amongst a set of resources that are scarce we have a scarce amount of energy and time that you know we, we actually operate within that medium we actually still build shit. we still do stuff so it's like the, the the force of uh human existence manifest in action is still strong enough to still build buildings and shit around me right like so, so stuff still has risen um and that's sort of that what i call the the never-ending uh, progress of natural capitalism it's it's what we do we're naturally solving problems we're naturally creating we're naturally building stuff you know you have this sort of this parasitic uh, manifestation of you know collectivism that just keeps eating on it and it, it the, the stronger the host you know the the, the the more the the parasite can feed but you know wh- where do you think we are now with how big the parasite has become and how big this um h- how much the lie that's been told big enough loud enough <laughs> and often enough has become this sort of uh almost a, a replacement for reality and, and and in doing so is destroying the reality that we've um you know built for so long where do you think we are
1: yeah I think you you just really nicely articulated a, a unique viewpoint of the Austrian business cycle because that's basically what this entire subject is about. Um, your action have consequences always, right? Um, and the thing is if your if your thoughts, If your uh, understandings and your actions are not aligned, then you will not solve your problem, right? You will not achieve the thing that you want to achieve, right? Um, So what does that mean if, you know, uh, the collective society has a collectivist spook, right? Uh, And its fundamental assumptions are completely off, right? That means uh, they're absolutely lost and don't even know which problems to work on first of all, right? And then even if they find a problem to work on, which as they are humans, after all, they will, right? Um, even collectivists act <laughs> because they are individuals after all, <laughs> mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so these people will try to solve problems, but they will work on the wrong problems and they will not actually achieve what they want to set out in, to achieve. Uh, maybe a bit more specifically in in, Hayek- in, in the Hayekian production triangle, um, we will... Uh, we will um, reduce the capital invested in later production periods right, in favor for shorter production periods. Um, and this is a, uh, basically a, a decrease of savings. Right? Um, you can only invest in long-term things if you have savings. Right? So uh, if, for example, via fiat inflation, uh, through the collectivist mindset, um, the uh, like inflation kicks in and just some people print money at the expense of others, um this means that all entrepreneurs invest their capital into shorter time periods uh basically uh, as otherwise would have been um and uh like this does manifest right all this accumulated all these accumulated wrong problems that are being worked on inefficiently. Are wasted capital, right? Sure, we build something, but it's not really the real problem that we want to solve, right? Uh, This is called the boom period, right? Uh, Where the malinvestment and the overconsumption kicks in, right? Entrepreneurs solve useless problems and customers don't even know what problems they want to have solved right um that these two things together um create a boom period everyone is happy in that time right where where we just decrease our production rates and and so on because while we still have capital to feed off right it's just one big party who cares about producing anything we got enough to to party the whole night long right great great you're going to have a marvelous time in the boom period right but Eventually, the bust comes Uh, and the bust, uh, well, economically speaking, means uh, everyone gets poorer. Uh, And what it means more fundamentally is that you realize that the problems you worked on in the past were not serious problems and uh, that you just wasted a bunch of time on a stupid quest that wasn't really useful to you. And even worse, right? Uh, a lot of problems have crept up that you should have dealt with like ten years ago, but you did not, right? And these problems and your inaction towards these problems show their consequences now, right? And now, not just did you realize they just waste a bunch of time solving wrong problems, all of a sudden really hard problems come and you don't even know how to deal with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is where poverty kicks in and the bust kicks in, right? Uh, and well, hopefully, right, smart entrepreneurs will take this kick in the ass and then figure out the real problems to work on and find efficient solutions to fix them, right? Uh, but if that does not happen, right, if the individual spirit and curiosity does not kick in, uh, if the collective continues to, to just do its crazy things, um, well, the problems are just going to accumulate more and more uh, for a longer time period, and they will just get bigger, and there is, will be no smart person left to actually fix them.
0: Mm -hmm. and we sort of spiral into fucking oblivion (laughs) couple 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 things i want to pull there um so the solving of stupid problems um or you know the or even the 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 attempt to solve meaningful problems but doing it in a in a poor fashion where you, where you fuck things up and you make them worse than what they were in the first place. That's almost like a a constant for existence, right? Is You know, we, we, we make mistakes. We're human. Like, you know, we, we, you know, we thought uh, bleeding people out for a long time was a way to help them, you know, heal. And, you know, the amount of people we killed in that process, like, you know, we don't want to know. So, um, so, so I guess what you're saying there and correct me if I'm wrong here is that the natural cycle of life—it it has seasons. It has times when we're when we're doing really well because you know the the overwhelming the, the majority of us are making good decisions. Or even if it's not the majority of us, those making good decisions, it's adding so much value to society that it actually does create a boom period until people sort of either become soft or feel entitled or whatever, um, and then they start um, not. And this is sort of in the absence of, let's say, central banking and planning and all that sort of stuff. I'm just talking natural progression of humanities. You know, we we have good times and, you know, that there's the the amount of value from good decisions exceeds or outweighs the, the loss from bad decisions um, or bad actions. Um, but at some point, you know, maybe that sort of seesaws and, you know, we have a small downturn. And then that downturn forces us to think deeper and cut out the things that we don't need, etc. And and it's it's almost like a, it's corrective in nature. but that that's what it is. It, you know, we have a to drink, you're going to have a hangover. So you know, you, we have these sort of corrective moments, and that sort of focus us in on what is important. You know, we cut the fat when we, we, we focus in, and then that sort of stems the, the, the downward trend and, you know, it starts to come back up and, you know, so so that's sort of the natural progression. Um, whereas what happens with, um, the, you know, the made up economy that attempting to live by is we try and we try and short circuit that by, you know, removing any corrective uh, mechanism of, you know, realizing what problems are wrong or right, etc. And we try and inflate the, um, the, the good times. And in the process, make the system really, really fragile and actually create more of, we, we exacerbate that boom period where we're actually lost in terms of what problems are um, to be solved and what ones don't need to be solved and create more and more bad action, but it's camouflaged by the creation of excessive money and the borrowing of future money through debt. So, so, so maybe have I articulated that well? And maybe talk me through the difference. Yeah,
1: there. yeah. No, I think I think you're onto something here. Um, like. As you say, right, humans are not perfect, right? We're suffering a bunch and we don't even know what our problems are and let alone how to fix them, right? We live in uneasiness, right? So, like, sure, like, hopefully you're going to find out which problems you actually have. And sure, hopefully you're going to find a solution to it, but it's very much not guaranteed, right? And you're going to make a lot of mistakes on the way of trying to solve your problems. It's not going to just magically work uh, the first second you think about it, right, especially any meaningful problem to solve. It's going to require a lot of thinking and acting. Um, the so the question is how how do you deal with the failure, right? What happens if you you try to solve a problem but you just didn't succeed uh, in fixing it? Like what do you do, right? What is your reaction, um, like? Uh, I, I, and I, well, I guess there are two different ways of looking at it. I mean, either you take the responsibility yourself, right? And you're like, oh shit, I fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. Let me try again, right? I'm, I'm going to invest more of my time, more of my capital into trying to fix that problem. Well, hopefully it's going to work, right? Are you going to invest your own capital in order to try to fix the problem the next time, right? Well, that is freedom, right? That is sovereignty, that is individuality, right? Um, the other approach would be to say well okay i, I didn 't make it this time fuck it i 'm too tired i don 't want to work on it anymore. Um, like you do it for me now, right you fix my mistakes i don 't care um, and like trying to offload that to someone else, especially like forcefully and um, and you know against that other person 's will. Um, I mean, there's, again, there's nothing wrong with hiring other people to fix a problem for you, right? But you got to respect them, right? And, and be honorable to them and honest, uh, and not try to steal from them, right? But if, you're, if your answer to failure is to force others to take the failure upon them, right, just so that you can continue experimenting at no cost, right? Um, you no longer have skin in the game, right? And, and this, I very much that, agree, is, is a big f- issue.
0: That you just nailed it there. I was literally about to say it. it's 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 less so. um I mean, it's even fine if you do a problem, you fail at, it, and you're like, "Fuck it, I don't want to do it anymore. Let someone else figure it out." Th- that's fine. The, the The issue comes when the cost of the failure is not yours to bear. That you that you social. This is why socialism is such an abhorrent idea. Is the idea is that somebody makes a mistake, one person makes a mistake, but somebody else pays for it. And that is like, like you said, it's no skin in the game. That that's where that's the emergence of what I think is one of the most dangerous things for society is moral hazard. Is I can do something, but someone else is going to pay for it, and and that gives you a game which is completely fucked up. Which is, you know, if me and you are playing a heads or tails game, it's it's heads I win, tails you lose. It's completely unfair, and and that's what I guess that's what this uh, this attempt to because I guess the the original Keynesian attempt or the original Keynesian dream, as as misguided as it was, maybe was to try and use uh, central banking tools or central plan tools to uh, eliminate any cyclical, uh, eliminate the cyclical nature of um, progress, right? Because everything is cyclical. We have seasons, you know, we have good times, we have bad times, we have all this shit. Um, But, you know, these idiot Keynesians in their... um, in the myopia, thought that they could remove that, but what they didn't realize is that every action has a cost. You know, every action has a reaction. That we, we we live in a in a universe that has right. So, if you want to then allow somebody to um, make bad choices, make decisions, but have no have no cost for that, who actually pays for it? Well, in this model, there's two people footing the bill or maybe maybe yeah two two groups footing the bill it's the one being diluted who's further from as far away as possible from the um from the monetary spigot so you know whoever's close enough to the money printer is going to get the benefit first at the expense of everyone else so so that means you know that the losses are being the, the bad mistakes are being socialized amongst everyone, whether they're good um, decision makers or bad decision makers. So that means good decision makers get slowed down and actually can't drive society forward. And already um, existing bad decision makers get driven further into the ground. Um, and then on top of that, the other way that they socialize losses or camouflage um, the banking is by borrowing from the future. And this is what you discussed about debt. Is It's not... That we owe ourselves and what the fuck who, who is ourselves what does that even mean it's that we, we are borrowing capital from the future we are borrowing productive capacity from the future and bringing it forward to today so so that is the most selfish thing so so that means we're we're dumping that onto our kids and our kids kids and our children's children to deal with as a problem um and, and that to me is like the most abhorrent like it is kind of like what you said earlier you can't escape responsibility, but we've kind of now living in a world where responsibility is tried to be pushed to somebody fucking else. Anybody but me just push the responsibility away, you know, just give it to somebody else. Um, and the thing is, you're even responsible for that. So you'll have a price to pay for that. Um, but the price is one where you become literally a prisoner to your own irresponsibility. It's, it's fucking wild.
1: Yeah, right. It's it's a charade to try to push the responsibility away. But hey, that's not how the world works. Like you jump off a cliff, you carry the responsibilities, you're going to fall down. No way around it. Like neither on the micro scale nor on the macro scale. Actions have consequences. Like if you don't think that that's the case, well, I, I guess kill yourself. <laughs> that's the logical next step, right? Um, so so yeah, it's 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 quite yeah it's it's really sad um and uh, like it has so many drastic bad consequences, but you know again even even for us freedom loving rational thinkers I and mean, again, we find ourselves in a huge problem like the the Fiat Empire is a massive problem, probably the biggest that we will have to fix in our lifetimes um mm-hmm. uh, because if not, well we have to live with the consequences right, of not fixing that problem um so yeah. What are you going to do about it? Just cry and well, kill yourself, ultimately, because it's hopeless? Or do you still have that despite despite all this tyranny and all this slavery, do you still have the creative spirit to think of a better situation and to come up with creative ways to reach that? Right, um, And this is what I love, like so much about the cypherpunk ethos. right? Just write the code, like build the tools, right? Build the tools for people to to use, in, to live a better life, to actually fix the problems on a small scale, on a big scale, any problem It doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But actually fix them, right? Write the code. Um, th- this is, this is a, such an applied philosophy. And I mean, it gave us Bitcoin, right? The most beautiful solution to the biggest of problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love how you said that. The most beautiful solution to the biggest of problems because that's really what this is. This is genuinely, I could not think of a worse problem than, than the consistent thieving of the product of all of our labor through the form of inflation, uh, outright fucking theft through taxation and uh, borrowing from all of our futures. There, there there's nothing more anti, uh, Civilizationary, if that's even a word, then that it, it's it's it is suicide the biggest problem. yeah
1: it's like a it's a macro suicide like how are you gonna kill a species well, make them eat each other <laughs> basically right mm-hmm. devour <laughs> each other uh mm-hmm. that that kills literally yeah well
0: um <laughs> that reminds me that this is i'm gonna have to listen back to this when um when we put it up because i'm I'm writing a piece called. Uh, bitcoin and the great filter and i'm i'm purely adamant like i I was um i had a magic cookie about a week ago and you know i was with this girl and i started talking about bitcoin and i was talking about the great filter i was like you know bitcoin is what gets us through the great filter and i was like i believe that we you know other civilizations i think we're talking about aliens i think that was it and i was saying you know I, i don't know you know whether there is um aliens or anything out there but you know, if there was, they they would have come up against this idea of the great filter. Is you know, did they blow themselves up or did they eat themselves alive? And and Bitcoin is, I think, the thing that enables a living species to go beyond the great filter, is to go beyond the point of either blowing themselves up or eating themselves alive. And, and I honestly don't think there's anything more important that's happening today than that. Is the the renaissance of Individual responsibility, the reintroduction of an incorruptible mechanism via which to value and measure and store the product of our labour—like what? What else could be more important? Like it's 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 incorruptible human action. <laughs> there's there, there's nothing more important. On that, um, let's talk. Let's talk um the advancement of bitcoin privacy so so let's pull that old thread back in, which is the the thread on bitcoin as being the new so called or 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 bitcoins becoming in the next couple of years, particularly as bitcoin really starts to accelerate the new uh jew class or gypsy class or you know um the bourgeoisie um that will be blamed for shit. And, and then how Bitcoin privacy is a tool for, um, I guess, for, for, for protecting against that. So so let's talk a little bit about, yeah, what what maybe you're doing at um, Wasabi. Let, let's talk maybe even deeper than that is, you know, what is Bitcoin privacy um, and how does it sort of emerge from the the... I guess, quote-unquote, transparency that Bitcoin has.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, just, you know, what is privacy? Uh, that is already a really tough question. And, and mm-hmm. the way that I like to define it, again, based on first principles and, uh, and you know, logical deduction, is that privacy is the fact that the individual has a choice of how to selectively reveal himself to other individuals. And that is something again very fundamental to how humans interact, right? Uh, even if you meet someone, right? Um, first of all, you have the choice of either meeting him or not. Right? You could just, you know, stay in your cave and never walk out, right? Uh, and stay forever like an anonymous individual that nobody knows about, right? But then ultimately, you start well, talking to other people, right? You approach them and you interact with them, and the way that you approach them and the things that you say to them right are all choices that you make of how you want to be uh, well seen uh, by that other person right in in what light with what actions with what words uh, do you want that other person to recognize you right so privacy is simply having the choice right of whom you want to talk to right and and what you want to say to them uh, and this is something as core to human to, to humanity as, as it possibly could be, right? It's, it's very much tied in with individual human action. Um, so, but why is it, so why is it interesting to, to ask yourself if you should tell this to someone else, right? And I think, you know, ultimately, um, as we said, right, words are just speech, non-scarce goods, right, information uh, that you can share without sacrificing them. So, in general, you can reveal quite a lot about yourself, right, without ever needing to sacrifice anything, right, uh, because, well, it's just words after all. However, I think the line comes in when when the non-scarce information that you share, right, the, the things that you say actually lead to you losing your scarce resources, right, your, the, the goods and services that you actually own, right, um, where if someone else takes them, you no longer have them, right? Um, so here is it where it becomes interesting, right, because... Well, you know, if you, if you tell someone uh, like, Hey, I have in like here, like uh, buried under this tree, I have like a hundred gold coins, right? Well, so far you have not given anything up yet. You've just spoken words, right? But now that this other individual knows right, that there is some precious treasure uh, buried somewhere on the ground and even unprotected, right? Well... You might as well just walk up and take it. Right? But then the problem is for you. Well, it's no longer there for you to take. Right? <laughs> you lost your scarce resource based on the non-scarce information that you shared. Right? So if you want to protect your hundred gold coins, well, first of all, don't tell anyone that you have them and where they are. right? Um, because then it's frankly impossible for them to find them. right? If, if nobody knows that something is there, how are you going to take it? You don't even know That there is something to take and let alone how much there is to take, right? So uh, like for me, that aspect of privacy is therefore a tool to protect your property, right? Uh, To to make sure that other people don't take the stuff that you want. Uh, And especially in in days of cyberspace where we're just emerged with non-scarce information and our sharing of that non-scarce information to protect our property rights uh, by choosing not to reveal some things in cyberspace is incredibly important. Uh, because if you don't pay attention here and just blurt out everything to everyone, right, as, as the internet does, uh, all of a sudden, all the people who don't like you, right, or all the people who would like to have the stuff that you have, are going to come after you, and they know exactly where to find it.
0: So the, it's one of the best explanations I've heard of um, for for the... The the raison d'être for for privacy. Um, so so then, talk me through then um, Bitcoin and how it uh, enables privacy, and then how it also may have some um, I hate to call it privacy problems because it's it's a it's a trade off, right? But what people perceive as a potential privacy problem for Bitcoin. So so, so talk talk me through that.
1: Yeah, so what information do you have to reveal about yourself, right, uh, to others if you want to use Bitcoin, right? Um, let's walk through it step by step. Um, because, I mean, you know, Bitcoin is a social network. So, First of all, you're going to have to reveal yourself. You're going to have to talk to other people, right? That's just how the market works and that's how money works, right? It's a, it's a language network, basically. So, yeah, you're going to reveal yourself. Question is how, right? So, first of all, how do you get paid well, what does the other person need to know um, uh, from you and that 's basically only a bitcoin address and right? that 's it that's that's the literally the only thing that you have to reveal to someone else to get paid right? fucking incredible right it uh, th- doesn't need to know your name your 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 face uh like your your uh, like your your bank account your address where you live nothing nothing literally the only thing that you need to reveal to get paid is your bitcoin address. That's it. Just a bunch of gibberish ones and zeros. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. That alone. Um, But there's more to it because, again, Bitcoin is a social network. right? Um, And uh, it's not just do you need to know your address and the sender needs to know the address, but everyone needs to know about this transaction. Right, that the sender send to the to this receiving address such and such Bitcoin, right? The inputs and outputs of the transaction, um, this actually has to be known by everyone in the network. Right? Everyone keeps a record of all the transactions that have ever happened. That's what a full node does. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why we got to do that is because we got to ver- verify it. Right? Did that money that's being spent actually exist? Right? Were all the spending conditions uh, of the transaction fulfilled? Right, um, all of these things have to be verified by everyone in the network, and therefore known by everyone in the network. Right, mm-hmm. um, uh, so this means you, in fact, have to reveal quite a lot to everyone. Right, at least that the transaction happens. But again, basically, none of the identifying informations is tied in that information revelation in the Bitcoin stack. Right now, there's exchange KYC, trusted third parties, unsecure internet all that stuff that can attribute more information about yourself to the Bitcoin transaction that's happening. Uh, well, but Bitcoin can't fix that, unfortunately, at least not directly. Uh, the consequences of Bitcoin will fix that. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, the Bitcoin protocol itself, very simple with what it has to reveal. Um, but one of the aspects where, again, you got to be careful um, is the revelation that all the many transactions that you made in this public network were actually made by one person right so you receive bitcoin countless times for all the goods and services that you provide as a courageous entrepreneur right? uh, now the the art of bitcoin privacy is to not tell everyone that all of these tra- transactions belong to one person or even worse that they belong to you right so despite you needing to reveal information about the transaction just so that everyone can verify it at least, don't reveal that all of these transactions belong to the same person, right? because again, Bitcoin does not require that. Um, and you know, things like there are a lot of privacy catches where an action can, uh, like unwantedly, reveal more information about who owns which coins uh, than you would like. Um, and this is the difficulty of developing Bitcoin privacy software: uh, is to not make these mistakes uh, and to protect the user from uh, inevitably making uh, these mistakes.
0: Brilliant. A couple threads I want to pull on there. So, um, so I love how you said within the Bitcoin ecosystem, um, you know, it does away with all of the excess junk that's required in the current financial legacy system in order for us to transact as human beings in order for us to trade in order for us to cooperate it it does away with all of that crap um and enables anybody anywhere anytime to perform whatever transaction they want without being able to without needing to ask permission or without being able to be censored and that that is fundamentally important And and it does that like you said with a string of gibberish that has no relationship to you now like you said the the outside world and the fact that Bitcoin is this, uh, you know, Bitcoin's a new world and then the old world is here. But because we have to build a bridge across, you know, the they can sort of build their little watchtowers on their side of the bridge to kind of see what the fuck's going on and try and attribute stuff to people that are crossing into the new world. Um, but once they're in there, they can't really do fuck all um, other than... If they've managed to tag somebody on the way in, they might be able to you know and i'm I'm making up um analogies here, but they might be able to attribute other actions to that person uh within the network to try and sting them for something now you know when we sort of live in a hyper bitcoinized world, all of this you know that 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 those accessories they fall apart you know they, they die as the as the critical mass um, of bitcoin uh continues. So so, for me, I guess that that's one pillar, and then the second pillar, like you said, is the the art of actual Bitcoin privacy on the network itself and And that's a different thing because that's sort of inside the Bitcoin ecosystem is not attributing um, you know the thing to yourself um, necessarily, or not attributing everything that you have to one location to yourself and that's a sort of separate art form but this kind of where i want to touch there because the second one i think talks to the work you're doing particularly with wasabi and CoinJoin and everything like that but the first one is um is an interesting one because bitcoin's so-called uh open and public blockchain is is such that you know by design is such that it can be verified like you said but i think the the key augmentation there is uh verified easily um or or cheaply or quickly or whatever you know verb we want to put in there it's like it has to be done easily because if that's not the case you create a natural disincentive for anybody to want to be a verifier or validator you know if there's going to be a cost to doing so you know it, it kind of it drives people away from that and and that right there is sort of like the the very, 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 very important trade-off that Bitcoin made um, or that the, the Bitcoin community sort of has converged on as a decision. You know, Bitcoin didn't make that decision. It's the, it's the decision the Bitcoin network um, has, has made. And that is, is fundamentally important because that is how I think we move towards having a global sound incorruptible you know unmonopolizable money that that breaks the state and then you know moves us towards you know more so individual human action um, now i know this is a long way of saying that bitcoin diverges from all these monero people so so can we talk a little bit about you know the trade-off that has made and why they, despite how they call themselves a a privacy coin, why they are solving the problem in a fucking backwards way and why it doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, so Monero is a really interesting project because it's probably one of the only uh, shitcoins out there uh, that do something interesting and and solve some really difficult problems. I mean, seriously, kudos to all the people working on it because they do solve very interesting problems. And uh, yeah, my disagreement is is not in the importance of the problems but it's about the trade-offs of the solution right um and uh like specifically what you brought up that aspect of uh, e- easily verifying right that that it is possible to verify right and to do so you know rather efficiently um uh, like, even Bitcoin has hum- humongous troubles to verify efficiently, by the way, right? So it's not that we solved the problem, right? We're kind of in the glass house uh, throwing stones, right? But it's just that the, the trade-offs chosen by by Monero are more in favor of having difficult to verify privacy features. Uh, and that comes on, on multiple layers. I mean, for one, heavy cryptography involved. Like, all these Patterson commitments and confidential transactions, ring signatures, like, crazy math, like, uh, I mean, first of all, are you really going to understand what's going on? Uh, I don't. Uh, Like, seriously, zero-knowledge proofs are very unintuitive, and I guess very little people can verify the code that's going on. So that's a huge risk as a side. But it also means that verifying these zero-knowledge proofs are infinitely more expensive uh, than just verifying a regular signature um, or a Bitcoin script. Um, So... Uh, That is one thing, right? Verifying difficult uh, cryptography. But the other thing is, and and that's even uh, like, that's for me, the kind of killer argument um, is the scaling of the blockchain itself. Uh, Because so in Bitcoin, because every transaction is public, and you know exactly which coin got spent, right? Uh, The coins that were already spent, you can just kind of forget about them, right? Or at least, uh, well, either throw them away entirely, right? Which is called pruning your Bitcoin full node, or just store them on your hard drive and basically never look at them again, right? Unless you really want to rescan, right? Basically, everything that you need to remember is the set of unspent transaction outputs, right? The Bitcoin that have yet to be spent, right? Like those that are currently being saved as cash balance. Um, and this is a a, a nice, benefit because now the more people spend their coins, right, and the fewer coins are being generated, well, then you have to keep track of less data, uh, which is a humongous, humongous improvement in the performance of the verification of a full node. Um, and specifically, uh, ring signatures, uh, in the Monero network make that impossible, uh, because you never know which output was actually spent, right? Um, you always just have like, a. a like a one in 40 chance that this output was spent, but you never know for sure, right? And um, other people will put will continuously put old coins into these ring signatures um, and will uh, like, therefore you just have to keep a track of all the outputs that were ever generated, even those that were already spent, and right? You still have to keep them um, fast read and write on disk and you have to uh, incur them in all the verification uh, cost you will have to consider all the previous outputs basically um so that's that's just much more difficult uh, to do not impossible right uh but a lot more difficult
0: interesting so, so i guess they're the trade-off and, and i was having a discussion with um with a monero person and you might have actually even been on that call i think it was during like a value of bitcoin conference like talk or something that we were giving and and you know my position was that if, if we sort of Monero seems to be you know making a set of trade-offs and their solution to the problem that is what we discussed earlier like that the biggest problem in the world which is the existence of a fiat state um, their solution is to sort of duck for cover and sort of you know trade amongst each other etc whereas the solution is different which is we're gonna fucking take a shot at the king and we're gonna knock him off the throne with something that is absolutely incorruptible because it is verifiable because it has economic mass and because it actually takes the the, the it incentivizes the players in the existing game to actually come in and put their capital and their skin in the game here so it kind of uses their own strength against them to to rise up and basically topple the whole thing. And then, you know, that is, I think, the only solution to the bigger problem. Whereas I think Monero is kind of this, this attempt to, to remain, you know, down and, you know, kind of close to the gutter in that sense. And, and I don't think, I, I think it's in some ways, um, noble because you know i'm a black market maximalist um but it doesn't it's sort of like a it's an attempt to win you know the small battle but not the actual war And, and this is why i think that bitcoin winning the war we can then in the bitcoin world use tools like what you're working on at Wasabi, et cetera, to maximize privacy in that world because there we can maximize privacy. As uh, so long as the old world exists, all we're doing is we're we're ducking and dodging and we're not actually solving any of the major problems. Would you would you sort of agree with that sentiment? Or?
1: Yeah, it's 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 again a very interesting trade-off and different nuances and strategy. Um but to be honest, I'm not that comfortable that you know that strategy is actually gonna be like fruitful, uh because you know if you poke the bear he 's going to come back at you, uh, and governments only pa- ban what is popular, right so the more popular bitcoin becomes, eventually they 're going to start banning it right? um and and actually go after it right so again, we live in this world of of immense uh like uh, um, like envy and uh like jealousy that uh, yeah uh, i mean i 'm not sure really um Satoshi said that bitcoin. Uh, like will not solve all these political problems uh, at scale, but at least it will give us uh, like a, a brief period, like a brief time window of liberty uh, in which we can manifest and and improve the situation. Um, and you know maybe it turns out like that. Like m- uh, maybe Bitcoin, in fact, um, is not enough uh, to actually topple the fiat empire because hey, that this empire is 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 massive and very deeply rooted. Um, it's it's not going to be an easy and quick thing to actually destroy it. Um, I, I I think Bitcoin has the best chance of doing so, right? But I'm absolutely not a hundred percent convinced that it's uh, that it's it's doable with this technology. Um, so, so, yeah, maybe actually staying under the radar for for longer, building more, uh, fine honing the weapons more before going on the all out hyper Bitcoinization offensive um, might be a good strategy. Well, but the thing is, Honey badger don't care. Right. And he's just going to burst out and do its thing uh, and piss off people uh and at an exponential rate so um so yeah there's nothing that my blabbering can stop here uh and i'm all in on the boat (laughs) so i mean it's,
0: it's a complex problem that's the thing it's i think maybe you know if i could uh infer what you're saying it's like you know bitcoin is not sort of like even hyper bitcoinization is not some sort of um you know, utopian future where we're all going to be fucking singing kumbaya. And even if in a hyper Bitcoinized world, um, the fact that you remove the capacity for somebody to play the unfair game, I, I think that just changes the, the incentives via which society operates. So I think that that's, that's what that's, I think, at the, the core of the, the Bitcoin fixes this meme. But maybe what you're saying is that along the way, um, that the transition towards a more Bitcoin type world is where all the mess is going to happen. Um, and as a result, we need to stay vigilant. We need to, we need to play the, we need to war like gorillas basically. Um, and, and not the chimp type gorillas, but you know, we, this is still a guerrilla warfare on the, on that path. Um, but, you know, I always, I've got this analogy. It's like, you know you have silver bullets or you have multiple lead bullets right so sorry you have a silver bullet or multiple lead bullets whilst i think bitcoin broadly speaking is like the, the silver bullet the the process of hyper bitcoinization is a series of lead bullets it is people putting capital in the network it is people holding it is you know people building privacy tools it is you know people writing it is podcast it is you know us sort of you know, harassing everyone that we know that, you know, Bitcoin needs to come in. It is the collapse of the state. It is the loss of faith in, you know, the issuance of new currency. It's, it's fucking all of this. Um, and, and Bitcoin sort of seems to, you know, be empowered by all of these things. But it's, again, it's like, it, it's, the, it's the best shot um, that we have, but it's, it's no reason for any of us to stay complacent um along the way because it's the transition where most of the mess uh will actually occur
1: yeah yeah i i do think it's it's our best opportunity as of now but what i like to focus on is that it's not going to be the last opportunity it's not going to be the last bullet that we're going to create um like this is a a, a, like everlasting war basically between productivity and leaders right um and it's going to be a massive struggle for eternity, basically. Um, and even if Bitcoin fails, right, and tyranny subsides for a little bit longer, uh, I am, I, I don't think that the human spirit can be crushed uh, that easily and that permanently. Um, like people will still solve problems uh, regardless of how how bad the situation gets, right. Um, Problems will be difficult or more difficult, and more people will fail with them. But still, even if if we don't make it work with Bitcoin, uh, like I have, I have confidence in that entrepreneurial genius to continuously find problems and find solutions on how to fix them.
0: So the, I guess my my whole thesis about the the difference between like a Monero and a and a, and a Bitcoin is is almost. You mentioned the, this idea of. I guess, different strategies to fight the war and, you know, is, is Bitcoin the final and last shot, um, you know, would it fail and all this sort of stuff. For, for me, the reason I'm so adamant that Bitcoin is not, not only the most important, I actually think it's our last shot. I actually think if we fail Bitcoin, um, we're actually fucked because, you know, the, the central planners have enough uh, technological prowess now to sort of move us towards um, a blend of 1984 and Brave New World. So, so I think that that is a that is a real danger because that couldn't be done before um, because technologically speaking, we weren't um, or central powers weren't strong enough. But but now I think that that is uh, definitely a reality. So so I think you know my, my analogy for Bitcoin is if you're gonna fight a war, um, and I don't know if this is Sun Tzu or whatever, but you you go and you destroy. the the enemy's capacity to feed themselves. And the the fiat enemy in this sense feed themselves from our productive capacity. Like we work, uh, they tax us, they inflate the money, they borrow from our future. Like that's how how that parasite persists. And the the reason why I think Bitcoin is such a powerful tool is because it eliminates their capacity to do that. Now, they may still be able to, you know, go after some individuals, but as the as the the feast that the state uh was used to disappears and they can't feed on that they not only start to you know fall apart themselves but you know they they panic and they don't know what and where to go and this is sort of also ties into why it will be messy along the way and you know why bitcoin privacy along the way is extraordinarily important but I, I honestly think that it is the, um, it is the, the king hit um, because it, it kills their food source. They can't feed off us. So, so I don't know if you've got any color you wanna to add to that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with your sentiment here. And Bitcoin for sure is uh, like, if Bitcoin fails, we're gonna have to live with the consequences of Bitcoin failing and these consequences will be dire like really dire, right? uh, more un- untamed Fiat regime uh, is, is going to be dreadful. Um, you know, still, even in that situation, you know, like reading Man's Search for Meaning or, uh, you know, the anarch- uh, um, mm. the Gulag Archipelago, mm. like books like this, like humans are quite powerful creatures, actually. Um, and you know, even in these humongously bad uh, circumstances, the human spirit, I think, still survives, um, of course well, to a diminishing return or extent just because of all the harassment, Uh, but nevertheless. um, And to to your point that now the the bureaucrats and the social planners have, have better technology to, to do the central planning. Um, This is somewhat nice by the, the idea from, from Hayek's pretense of knowledge, right. Um, uh, Which is, um, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's not just about having a lot of information um, and being able to go through all that information. Like uh, he even back in those days makes makes the point that even if the uh, central planners would have all possible information, um, like as much as possible, the reason why socialism and central planning ultimately fails is because of a lack of prices and a lack of proven values, right? Not just values that are guessed or speculated in psychology, right? But values that are actually like value hierarchies are actually proven in the individual action itself um so i'm like that's why i have a f- a fundamental hope that even with all the you know massive information scale uh, and the computational power to make sense of all that much information i still think that socialism will ultimately fail uh, for the same reasons as as mises and hayek lays them out um but but nevertheless, right, the thieves are going to get better um, and they're going to use the technology to get better. Uh, and and yes, absolutely. Having a, a massive information surveillance uh, campaign and the computational power to make sense of that is a phenomenal tool in the hands of thieves. Uh, and they're going to continue to use it uh, at at devastating extents, Right.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Let, let me I, I want to pull up a, a paragraph because I want to I want to say this right. Right. Um, from a piece. Did you ever read uh, Utopian Dystopias?
1: Ah, uh, I don't recall. Probably not.
0: Okay, I'm gonna have to send it to you. But there's there's a there's a paragraph in here about exactly this. Um, where the fuck is it? Um. But it it literally talks about um, that so. Um, Okay, so I'm gonna read a little bit of it. So I say, homo sapiens, we, are the latest evolutionary experiment um, and we're lapping our way into the history books, um, assuming of course we make it through the great filter. Um, And therein lies my most significant personal concern. I know that central planning will not work. You don't have to be a genius to realize that. My fear is the central planners destroy everything around us, similar to how the USSR nuked itself, and or make all of humanity obsolete by unleashing some sort of AI-style leviathan in its arrogant pursuit for the ultimate utopia. The greatest risk is not the idiots succeeding, but the idiots blowing everything up and taking the intelligent and virtuous down with them. Um, So so I guess I I agree with you in the sense that socialism, no no matter what they do, they, they can't succeed. They'll always blow up. But... Their, their capacity to fuck things up this time is so widespread that it's not like it's not it's not as isolated as before. You know the the whole the you know the Nazis and that that was isolated. Um, you know the USSR, the Gulag Archipelago, that was isolated. North Korea is isolated. So so these smaller scale fuck ups can blow up without blowing everything else up. But I, I fear that, and we've sort of seen this with twenty twenty is how. The, the bureaucrats just through, it, it doesn't even need a conspiracy theory to explain. It's just through sheer ass covering that they don't, don't want to be the one that says the thing contrary that they sort of all converge to this almost attempt to govern globally um, as, you know, one group. And, and that has potentially really, 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 really catastrophic uh, outcomes. Now, now maybe it's not that the entire human race gets wiped out, but maybe we sort of throw ourselves back eight, 900 years. So, so I think that is, the, for me, the danger is not um, not that they succeed. <laughs> the danger is that they fuck it up so badly um, that it takes us another couple hundred years to, to get to where we got to now. Um, or we just wipe ourselves out completely. I don't know.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, both are dire outcomes. (laughs) Not sure which one is worse. Uh, Hopefully, we can prevent both. (laughs) Um, uh, But but yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's why we Bitcoin. Like that's why we do the shit we do because it's that important of work. At least we perceive it to be. Um, And you know, I I hope we're wrong about this, right? I, I hope that the threat is not that big. Uh, but I don't know, after like a lot of thinking about it, it seems to get uh, bigger by the second. Uh, so, yeah, we got to fix it.
0: It does. It, it's the slippery slope, man. It's the, it's the like, again, when you read a bit of history, you know, and, and people sort of wonder how things got so bad. It's that it's, they compound on each other. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, you know, cancel culture didn't start off really bad. It started off really small. It's like, oh, you know, you just shouldn't say that about people. Um, and it started off as a politeness but now it's sort of encroached all the way to the point where you can't have fucking kids books you know they're they're burning books again it's like they're doing exactly what they say you shouldn't do but they're doing it again and this is sort of the it's almost like a harmonic effect like the 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 chaos of the the bad decision making creates more bad decision making Um, and 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 this is again I, I would say a fiat effect is that you you make the natural cyclical nature of, um, you magnify its amplitude um, and you sort of, you you, you fake all the good, and then you fucking collapse so badly on the way down. And and I think honestly, it's dangerous. And that's, again, Bitcoin removes their, um, their food source, and in doing so, starves the fucking beast. And I don't, I can't see any other strategy uh in this warfare um in this war sorry that is that is more potent um in terms of succeeding so anyway let's talk practicality um unless you have any more philosophical um pieces you want to add to that
1: <laughs> no no i i do enjoy the blabbering about all the theory uh, and all the philosophy of it but and again what what are we going to do about it <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> obviously bitcoin
1: is the answer but there's a lot of nuance in it
0: indeed okay so let's let's talk um answers to i guess what i think is the biggest problem like i i'm still committed uh, not committed but i'm convinced that bitcoin wins in the end anyway the, the only question for me is how clean or how manageable that pathway is and this is where the answers need to be found it's not about finding the fucking answer to hyper bitcoinization because we don't know what that's going to look like when it's going to happen none of that shit what we do know now is that bitcoin is the only fucking alternative and the best alternative we have to this leviathan so what are the solutions along the way and you know a series of them involve being able to protect yourself and one of the strongest mechanisms for protection is privacy so talk to me about some of the Bitcoin privacy initiatives, you know, that you're working on that are, or that are occurring uh, in the broader network?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's so difficult to change Bitcoin's consensus rules, right? And to add magic, like, uh, you know, ring signatures or stuff stuff uh, that you can do in different monetary networks, but you just cannot change Bitcoin to be that, right? So it's going to be difficult to improve the privacy on the base layer to like, uh, uh, like an, an exponential improvement. Right? Sure, we can marginally improve things and stuff like ta- like Taproot is a great example here. Like it does improve Bitcoin privacy by quite a lot, right? Um, uh, like, because previously, for example, if you were using a multi-signature, you have to, you have to reveal yourself to be using a multi-signature, right? You had to put the script with object multi-sig two out of three or something with these pri- uh, public keys. You had to put that on the chain Everyone knew about it. Everyone had to verify it, right? So you you did have to reveal more information about that, um, and that goes the same for things like you know uh, more advanced smart contracts like Lightning Network or other coin swap things. Um, but what Taproot does, this with some genius cryptographic tricks uh, that that are possible with Schnorr signatures, um, is that it uh, hides the fact that a multi-sig policy is actually being used. Uh, but it just looks like a single public key and a single signature, right? So, so all of a sudden, everyone who actually uses multi-signature looks like if he would be using a single signature, and vice versa. Right? So the anonymity set size growth, right, mm-hmm. uh, grows more. More people look like the same, <laughs> uh, and uh, and that's in general a good thing for privacy. So, you know, things things like this are are. Uh, I, I think going to be the the main forefront on the network layer, uh, at, at least in the short term future.
0: So, so, so let's pull a little bit on threads of taproot. So, so again, I haven't understood personally too much about taproot, except I I have listened to a podcast two about schnorr signatures. So, I I understood that that is a you know a huge improvement to the um, I think what is it ECDSA, ESDCA? Um, Uh,
1: ECDSA exactly.
0: ECDSA, that's um, that that schema because Schnorr allows you to basically uh, add signatures. So 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 that made a lot of sense to me. And so I understood um, particularly the increasing the anonymity set by making multi-sig and single-sig transactions all look the same. Right? Um, I didn't know that that was actually a part of the Taproot implementation though. So 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 why is it called Taproot? And tell me more about what. The Taproot implementation wants to do outside of the implementation of Schnorr signatures? or, Or is that really all it is?
1: Uh, no, there are actually like three BIPs that are bundled together as the Taproot okay. software upgrade. Um, okay. One of them is a change from elliptic curve digital signature algorithms to Schnorr digital signature algorithms, and right? both math formulas where you can prove that you know something without revealing your secret right, to mm-hmm. make a digital signature. Um, but it's just that Schnorr signatures are a much simpler math formula, like uh, mm-hmm. just easier to to do things with. Uh, and therefore you can build more beautiful things on top. Like for example, this public key aggregation and signature aggregation uh, with this music protocol. Um, uh, but there is another aspect to Taproot itself. Uh, and that is this actual, what where the name comes from, the Taproot construction. Um, it's, so how does it currently work? Like if you have like, for example, Lightning Network, um, different spending conditions Right, of who can spend this coin. Either it's a multi-signature between Alice and Bob, right? Or you can spend it with only Bob's key, right, after one week, right? For example, or Alice Alice's key can spend it if she also has a secret. Right. These are basically the three spending conditions for a lightning network script, like the the private property contract that these two individuals go into here. Um and uh but it's again, you have to reveal all of this to everyone, right? So in this transaction, you put all of these three spending conditions, and you prove that you ver- that your transaction verifies one of them, right? So for example, you provide the two out of two multi signature, right? And then every full node checks, okay, these are the three possible spending conditions, and yes, one of them got fulfilled, right? But that means, again, you just reveal a bunch of about your on-chain activity, right? Everyone verifies all three scripts. Uh, And the idea of taproot um, is to, instead of having just a linear line of all the scripts where you have to reveal all of them, you have a tree structure, right? A a Merkle tree, basically, where each spending condition is a unique and independent called leaf of the tree, like the the endpoint of the tree, right? so in our case, you would have three like, uh, um, or actually you only would have two spending conditions at the end of the tree. Um, and those are, for example, Bob can spend it by himself after one week or Alice can spend it by herself if she has that additional secret. Right? These are the two spending conditions that we put at the bottom of the tree.
0: Right? Why, why is it only two now instead of three?
1: Exactly. Uh, that's the interesting thing. Um, why is it actually called taproot? what is a taproot, right? And a taproot is something that grows in the ground, right? And it has roots, right? Um, But it has one like very, very big root. Uh, Like the prime example is a carrot, right? A carrot grows in the ground. It has a bunch of small little roots that are going all over the place and the very big like orange root that we eat Mm -hmm. as a carrot, right? So um, same analogy goes here in the tree. We have some small branches like, for example, the Bob can spend by himself or Alice can spend by herself. These two branches are small branches that might be used, but we have one branch uh, that that is like the biggest one that that has the highest likelihood of being used. Uh, And that is usually the everyone agrees case. In the vast majority of economic trades, both parties agree and both parties are happy Mm -hmm. and both parties collaborate. Alice and Bob signed the, signed the transaction together, right? Um, and this is just the two out of two multi signature, right? So, so what we can do actually is uh, aggregate this these this to one single aggregated public key and just represent this as the top level of the tree, like the the actual root of it, uh, where where the tree begins. Um, and this basically means. So, so why is this interesting? Um, in the case where everyone agrees, in that most common cooperative case, both Alice and Bob sign the signature. Every like any, th- the only thing that is revealed is one public key and one signature on chain. There's nothing else in this transaction script, right? You don't reveal that there was a tree of different script conditions, and you don't even reveal how many script conditions you used, right? Anything that is seen as is on-chain, one public key, one signature, without anyone knowing that there was some more advanced things, like more refined arguments to who can spend this Bitcoin somewhere hidden uh, in the transaction construction or in the address. Um, but in the case where the two parties do not agree, where the most common cooperative case does not kick in, right, where Alice goes offline, right, or, or runs away and Bob sits there alone, right? In that case, you only reveal one of these tab leaves, one of these separate spending conditions, um, and you kind of prove that this is a valid spending condition that was committed to at the beginning in the address, and you only provide a proof for this one part uh, of the spending condition. For example, Bob's signature, you know, after a certain time, after the one week. Um, And then if if you spend it with Bob's case, Nothing about the spending condition with Alice is revealed, right? You, you just revealed that you just validated the script with Bob, but nobody knows, no full node ever will find out that there was in fact the script where Alice could spend the, key, the coins too. Uh, so here again, Taproot is about selectively revealing yourself on the Bitcoin network so that multi-signatures look like single signatures and so that you can get very advanced and very complex multi-layered spending conditions on who can spend this coin in any edge case that you can come up with, right? But you only reveal that one spending condition that you ultimately end up using to spend that coin and none of the other spending conditions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See, So it's only revealed when the action is taken um, So versus the way it currently uh, operates is that all of the conditions are listed. Um, irrespective of the decision you've made.
1: Exactly. And that has okay. two major downsides. First of all, you got to read all this data. Every full node got to read it and every full node got to verify it. Right? That's just a lot of computational cost to, to verify these types mm-hmm. of scripts. Right? Again, verification cost is a huge part in the Bitcoin trade-off spectrum. Um, and the other thing is it sucks for privacy. Why do you have to tell someone what an edge case in a contract was if that edge case never like manifested itself right if you don't use it nobody got to verify it right so why do you got to reveal it well you don't actually with taproot mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. so you said okay so that's two was there a third you said benefit of having taproot
1: um uh, i said that there were three bips uh three bitcoin uh-huh, improvement proposals uh-huh, okay, that okay, bundled yeah. together as the taproot upgrade okay. uh first is the Schnorr signature algorithm, which is defined mm-hmm. and laid out there. Uh, the second is this tab script uh, idea, right? To have um, this tree construction of scripts, right, which, by the way, the idea goes back to like 2012 or something. Uh, so it's nothing new, um, but now it's actually manifested. Um, Possible, yeah. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and the third, uh, the third thing is, uh, in addition to Bitcoin opcodes. So the the operational codes that are used uh, in the Bitcoin script itself, in the programming language, um, this is basically changes to how we can write contracts of who can spend Bitcoin, right? Specifically changes that, that make Schnorr signatures work and like key aggregation with Schnorr signatures and mm-hmm. things like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's but that's some low level like developer like lawyer speak basically. I mean that's what Bitcoin script developers are. They write contracts, yeah. right? Yeah. Um but hopefully you as the as the end user uh won't have to deal with, with Bitcoin scripts. But uh, I mean actually why not? There are things that make that easier too.
0: Okay, so so what is what are some of the arguments against Taproot. So it's like, it's obviously, it hasn't been implemented yet. Um, you know, changing anything on Bitcoin is difficult. So so what what are some of the, what may be some of the arguments against it? Or what are some of the things that people are saying that, oh, why we shouldn't potentially do Taproot?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest argument is the one that you brought up. Uh, changing Bitcoin is a dangerous thing. Like, we found somehow consensus on this magical internet money. Any mm. change that we're going to propose to it is going to be dangerous. And especially it's going to be a dangerous precedent, uh, uh, like uh, a dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, like first action, right? Um, yeah, yeah,
0: precedent. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, precedent, yes. So what happens if you, like if in 20 years time, someone just comes along and says, oh, let's let's change to 42 million Bitcoin and let's give me all the other 21, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right? Well, that's also a change in the Bitcoin rules. I mean, we agreed to changes previously, right? Maybe we're going to agree to that one too, right? Um, so... Like it's always tricky to kind of patch the machine as it's flying. Um and it's again that's a very dangerous precedent. So as much as I would love to use Taproot like two years ago, <laughs> um I I'm happy that it's still not here. And I'm happy that it's still a pain in the ass to get activated because mm-hmm. that shows that Bitcoin is resilient and that these rules that we set are actually set basically set in stones. Um mm-hmm and you know even in something like taproot where to be honest other than this there's almost no good argument against it um like it's better for verification speed it's better for privacy it's better for usability we can like we bitcoin does the same thing but it does it better um like it's 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 like an all-out win like there's really not much of a serious concern um other than some small nuances, like it's a new address type, and that will kind of split the anonymity set, which is true, but it's a very short-sighted argument. Um, so, yeah, like there, there has been a lot of debate for years, and I personally cannot come up with a really solid argument that would convince me.
0: So, is it like, is it like SegWit, in a sense that um, it, you know? It's released into the network, but because it's backwards compatible, it sort of runs alongside, and then people sort of have to move over to, you know, Taproot type. You said the addresses are slightly different, et cetera. Is that sort of what needs to happen here, or?
1: Yeah. So it, again, it is a change to the rules. Uh, the question is, is it a hard forking change or a soft forking mm, change? Mm, right. Mm. Um, uh, that, that's the first rule. Do we break previous rules? Right. If if an old node will verify a taproot block or a transaction, what will it say? Will it say, "Yeah, this is valid," or will it say, "No, this is invalid. Get out of here," right? Because if if old nodes will say the taproot transactions are invalid, well, that's a hard fork, right? You have to upgrade, otherwise nobody can use taproot. Um, uh, so that's that's just a no go. That's not how Bitcoin works. <laughs> so uh, thankfully, that won't be an option. So it is a soft fork, right? But just because the software does not mean that it's magically this, uh, this workable thing that just, you know, works. Um, Like we still have to be careful to not split the chain and to not Mm -hmm. rip apart the network uh, because, well, it is a change in the rules and uh, there can be a disagreement in many edge cases uh, where this actually leads to people like disagreeing on, on what the latest Bitcoin block is. Uh, And yeah, we like it's, it's a nuanced trade off here, but I think it will be possible to achieve a a clean activation.
0: Okay. Describe to me, what do you mean by clean activation? (laughs)
1: Um, Basically that, uh, so the the thing is, um, like if you, like even if your full node verifies taproot transactions, right? If there are no taproot transactions in a Bitcoin block, right? Then what are you going to do about it? Right? There's, if you cannot get into a Bitcoin block, um, well, that sucks. Your transaction is not real. Um, so that's one of the things, right? Miners actually have to confirm taproot transactions. Um, okay. Now, why would they do that? Well, because they get paid a fee, right? Uh, that's the, the only reason why they do anything. Um, and, I mean, that is somewhat taken care of. Um, uh, but the issue is if, um, uh, if like, there are... if. Because, in the way that that these software updates work, like the people who update to the new version of the software should start enforcing its these rules at the same time, like if different nodes start enforcing the rules at different times, that can lead to like difficult like trade offs because all of a sudden your node um like, I'm, I'm probably failing to explain it, but uh, and it's it is a rather nuanced argument. But the mm-hmm. thing is, if you want to upgrade, you gotta make it coordinated with everyone else. Uh, otherwise, you know, blocks might be considered invalid, uh, or miners will do reorganizations. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, like things like a user activated soft are actually extremely dangerous uh, because that basically means that nodes say, Well, any block that does not signal readiness for taproot, I will consider invalid. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, miners are producing valid blocks according to the old nodes rules, because, well, they're just regular blocks. But because they don't signal the readiness for taproot, the user-activated software clients say, nope, that's not a valid block. Um, And all of a sudden, at least themselves are off the network. And so, if the majority of miners just continues producing uh, non-signaling Taproot blocks, well, the old nodes will just will still see these blocks as valid, but the new nodes will say, "Nope, that's no longer a valid block," uh, and that's basically a split in the network.
0: Mm. So, so, how did we how do we navigate this during the um, during the SegWit battle and that user activated software? Because I know it took ages. I mean, even to this day, not you know, SegWit is not. Um, well, maybe talk me through the nuance here. It's like, because they say, oh, you know, SegWit's not um, in use by X, Y, Z exchange, but the exchanges aren't really important because they're just sort of pointing to an address. So, is is it has SegWit sort of been adopted by all nodes and all miners on the network at this stage? And as such, it's actually got 100% activation, but it's not um, fully in use or, or to, Talk me through the, the UASF on, um, on Segwit.
1: So to... Yeah, so, so with any change to the rules, right, we have this proposed change, um, and ultimately the users will update their software to verify these change of the rules, right? Um, the question is, when do we actually enforce these rules? Uh, and how do we reach consensus on at what time do we start? Right, And that is basically the activation process of a soft fork. Again, so many nuances with this, and I'm not a big Bitcoin wizard with a long beard, so probably going to be wrong about half of this. (laughs) But uh, so the way that it happened with with SegWit was that, as with previous soft forks, we said that um, the way that we reach a consensus on when to activate it um, is that uh, that miners will produce blocks uh, that signal that their nodes are upgraded and that they are ready for taproot. They literally signal readiness. Yes, I am valid for uh, like to verify taproot or, sorry, segwit outputs. Um, and uh, like we can do this, or why do we do this with uh, Bitcoin miners? Because it's somewhat of like a, a decentralized and distributed and provable uh, kind of skin in the game right these These are economic nodes, and we can actually prove that just by the mining bitcoin blocks um, mm-hmm. so this was a nice uh kind of well a signaling mechanism for the bitcoin for the broader bitcoin ecosystem in general because well it's just difficult to coordinate you know a bunch of businessmen just exchanges and you know pizza merchants and all those. It's very difficult to to kind of get their red their signal for readiness um, other than twitter and that's very manipulative right um so, and this is basically known as a miner activated soft fork. Nothing wrong with that, right? It's, it basically just means that my, that a certain percentage of miners with Sequited was ninety five percent signal that their full nodes are upgraded to Taproot and that they are ready to to handle Taproot trans- or Sequid transactions accordingly right? to the new rules. Uh, which is important that the miners do that. Um, and um, the thing is, because of many. Somewhat political reasons, um, a lot of the miners did not signal this readiness. Right, um, they simply refused to be part of activating uh, the SegWit uh, upgrade, even though it was it it did reach rough consensus in the Bitcoin ecosystem. I would say, um, so here there was like a discrepancy between the the rough consensus in for every Bitcoin user. Uh, which was, yeah, SegWit is a smart idea. We can do lots of things with it, so let's do it. Uh, it doesn't break any of the rules. It's like an ethical change and so on. But um, but m- m- miners just did not activate it. And then we kind of switched it around and said, well, miners, you don't get to deny users to say how they can spend their Bitcoin. Right? That's That's not how the Bitcoin system works. Users will just say that if you do not signal the readiness, if you do not accept to confirm taproot transactions, your block is simply going to be invalid. And, well, I can do that because it's my node. And if I say your block is invalid, fuck you. Your block is invalid. <laughs> um, and you're not going to get the 6.25 Bitcoin and reward. Right? Um, so uh, this is basically then what a user-activated software is. Uh, different ways to do that, like different ways to... Find the time. Um, but with SegWit, it was on August 1st. This was only a, a threat, so to say. like uh, Because, in fact, before this flag day activation of the user activated soft fork actually kicked in, all of a sudden, miners started to signal Taproot readiness, uh, SegWit readiness and we reached over the 95% threshold, right? So because there was this outcry of users to, hey, if you no longer produce uh, tap, uh, SegWit blocks, your block is not gonna be valid for me. Um, that was somewhat of a, of a threat enough, so to speak, though a, a non-violent threat, um, like a peaceful threat, um, that kind of kicked the miners into the butt to you know, do what they're paid for, and that is to confirm the Bitcoin transactions the Bitcoin users want them to confirm.
0: Interesting. So, so we sort of, uh, in a sense, the node operators and the network, um, or the users on the network kind of forced the hand of the, of the miners in that sense, right?
1: Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, it's, it's like, it's, it's a genius thing because that's very much how Bitcoin works, right? I make the rules. Like I run the full node, I can change it to whatever the fuck I want, right? Um, and you're gonna play by my rules, otherwise I kick you out of my network, right? And I no longer talk to you. That's the ethos so that... of Bitcoin, that's anarchy and money, right? Yeah, I uh, and... love
0: it. Um, was, so was there enough of a, like a critical mass of nodes that sort of flipped over and signaled that, that sort of, you know, was visible by the miners? Like how was that signaled by the community?
1: That's exactly it. It's very difficult to signal that like, and and to signal it provably and verifiably. Th- that's mm-hmm. why you, we use minor signaling in, in the first place, right? Because we just cannot prove how many people run full, run the full nodes that verify these, mm-hmm. this code. It's just an impossibility to prove, right? My guess is actually that, I don't know, there were maybe, I don't know, 50, 100 user-activated software nodes out of there. I mean, I was one of them, but I'm not a... Me... <laughs> meaningful merchant getting paid, right? Like I've, I'm like a tiny blimp in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So like, I think that it was actually a very small number of users who actually ran that full node and would have actually forked themselves off the network if it happened, right? Because that's the other thing. Like if miners just continue to not producing blocks according to a SegWit, then you don't have any blocks on your blockchain, right? So you're it's useless, right? Um, then the question is, do you revert back and kind of give in and say, okay, uh let's 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 stop that i want to be on the main bitcoin chain again for everyone else is, so i will just run the regular previous uh software client for my full node that does not activate uh with a user activated software
0: yeah well fuck this this is i can see the contention now with um with taproot so so i guess hmm what what then is the uh, i mean you you try to explain the process so there's no point in sort of beating a dead horse there. It's like, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. So I guess it's, it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like a campaign over a period of time to sort of, you know, suggest that this is good and, you know, have people review the BIPs. Um, Is there, is there a suggested time or a suggested date or a suggested block that, um, you know, people are thinking of, introducing Taproot at this stage, or is that still up for discussion?
1: Yeah, that was a very in-depth conversation for the last half year or so, I would say. Uh, mm. And so far, there were difficulties to reach consensus on how to activate this consensus change. <laughs> uh, yeah, difficulties of free software organization all the way down. <laughs> um, and there was, like, a, like the big question was user-activated soft fork or miner-activated soft fork. Um, and I think just based on the horrible experience of last time, like everyone was still kind of butthurt and was afraid of doing a minor activated soft fork because, well, last mm-hmm. time they fucked it up, right? So everyone was kind of trigger happy to like go like, oh, I'm threatening these bastards again that I don't pay you if you don't do that, right? <laughs> um, like, yeah, um, I, and I, I was one of them, to be honest. Like, initially I was, I, I was like, no, the Taproot is awesome. We like it. Full nodes make the rules. Let's just roll out that. Um, but, you know, the more I was thinking about it, it's just super dangerous, man. Like, user-activated soft forks are really a dangerous thing um, because they can very easily lead to a network split. Like, if miners just don't mine taproot transactions, all those user-activated soft fork nodes are going to be, like, uselessly floating around on a different network. Ah, uh, that's a pain in the ass, man. We don't want to have that. So miner signaling really makes sense, I think. Um just because it is a a provable way to enforce the activation consensus. Um, Yeah, which is just very difficult to do. Um, So a a recent proposal uh, that was put out there that I think has somewhat reached a rough consensus at this point um, with with a lot of acknowledgement from different people, is the so-called speedy trial activation. Um, And this is basically a a fail fast uh, minor activated soft fork. Um, So I think the SecWid minor-activated software had like a a one-year time period, if I remember correctly. Like if over the next one year, at any point, 95% of miners signal readiness for SecWid, we will activate it. um, But uh, that's... uh, So what the Speedy Trial is about um, is basically to reduce that timeout to uh, three months. So... If within the next three months miners activate or and, and they actually reduce the value to ninety percent of miners signal readiness for Taproot, we will activate it. Right. So this is a like if miners play ball, if if they do what is clearly the 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 consensus of of the community of of this rule change, um, then we will just activate it with a miner activated software. Um, if not, then we will increase that timeout. Um, And think about a different activation method, like, for example, user activated soft fork. So the idea is basically to give the miners a chance to play ball. um, But if they don't, within three months, we will find out quickly. um, And uh, we will then be able to take further actions quickly. Um, And I think that's probably a reasonable approach, specifically with something as non-contentious as tabroot, that doesn't have all the ASIC boost craziness that SegWit had that fucked up the game theory completely. Um mm. so uh, I, I hope that it's gonna be good enough to ensure a stable but swift update of the of the consensus rules. So yeah, but there's so many nuances to it and yeah, it seems it's still gonna be some time out.
0: Crazy, crazy. Okay. Let's let's not get stuck in these weeds then. So let's let's move on to uh, what what are some of the other so we've, we've got taproot um you also mentioned that i mean don't even have to mention it the work you guys are doing at wasabi is all around coin joints so, so talk me through some of the stuff that's happening in that world um with respect to privacy enhancing etc
1: yeah, I mean, based on the last couple minutes of conversation, you, know, you will somewhat feel the pain of trying to improve Bitcoin consensus <laughs> rules and improving the privacy aspects on the base layer. I mean, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, so, like, that's a problem. How do we fix it? Right? Um, I, and I think the way to fix that is with uh, a client-side software, um, like the way that you talk to the existing Bitcoin network. Right. Um, And the way that you build your transactions um, and uh, things like this. So I think that's that's where we can make the biggest exponential improvement to privacy in the space is by having uh, like user interfacing client software that implements all the privacy best practices uh, that we know that we can currently use. Um, And I. I think Wasabi has been a uh, like a pioneer in this space. Um, in in that regard, like the vision has always been to make Bitcoin privacy usable, right? And you know, even in the very first stage of Wasabi 1.0 that was released, well, exactly one year after Segwit activation, by the way, August first, two thousand eighteen. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, like it it did a lot of the things right. Like for example, network level privacy works by default for every user out of the like out of the box, magically under the hood. Um, Like you're like, if you install Wasabi, you all of a sudden turn into a a power Tor user with the craziest, longest beard, right? Um, (laughs) So like you run multiple different Tor identities that uh, talk in in parallel streams uh, to all, like to every peer in the Bitcoin network uh, with a new identity, Um, like ridiculous, or things like how to verify how much Bitcoin or how to find out how much Bitcoin you have without actually verifying the entire blockchain. Um, Basically you, if you don't verify the blockchain, someone else will have to do it. So the question is rather how do you talk to that person that verifies the blockchain for you without you revealing all the sensitive financial information, like which transactions are you interested in, right? Um, And Wasabi solved that since day one with these uh, BIP-158 block filters. Um, like some stuff we probably don't even have to get into it, but the gist of it is when you use Wasabi, you don't send your public keys to anyone, right? Your public keys, your addresses always stay on your own network. Um, And you, you like, you don't cluster all your coins just by asking someone else how much money you have. Uh, And that's like, all of that worked under the hood. Um, You know, and even things like the coin join uh, worked quite well. Um, Like, it i mean it was the first really nice usable uh interface user interface for for coinjoins um that like really made sense um and was very honest about how bitcoin works um like just things that it shows you individual coins instead of a total balance like this mm-hmm. was radically new at that point but it's just the honest way to look at bitcoin right so a lot of these things were done right but there were just many more things that we could improve in the future and that's somewhat of the the next epoch of wasabi
0: interesting so so i I like what you said there is the differentiation between trying to you know improve privacy on on chain versus doing it on the client side so the um talk talk to me about confidential transactions and why why that i I guess i've kind of loaded the question but why that is potentially not a good idea
1: um yeah i think we talked about some of that already right the the main um or, or well actually wait with, with confidential transactions uh, th- that we actually did not yet talk about and that is basically that you hide the amounts uh, of the transaction uh, in uh, on the blockchain itself so you don't know the value of the inputs that is being spent and you also don't know the value of the outputs that are being generated and right? um and but still you can verify that nobody printed any money Right, that everyone had the 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 money that they were spending uh, and nobody was making things up um like beautiful cryptography fucking genius right um but it has as a main downside that it has more like it has a a, a new assumption uh, that uh, the the basic like that bitcoin does not have right currently you just see the bitcoin inputs and output values so there are no like cryptographic assumptions on zero knowledge proofs and things um though i don't even think that that's a good argument because these assumptions are very reasonable and they work uh, and we rely on them even in bitcoin with all types of cryptography uh so i don't even think that that's an issue um i just think that the main issue with is in the implementation um of of this thing uh, i mean Zero knowledge proofs are crazy magic, and they're like only a handful of people who can implement them securely, right? And who can review that implementation, actually make sure that it works, that it doesn't have any counterintuitive bugs. Um, like super difficult, uh, and to do that in in like a in in like a Bitcoin base layer type of thing, I mean, doable but challenging for sure. Um, uh, so. Yeah, and, and I mean, main argument, of course, it's not in the Bitcoin base layer. So what are we going to do about it? We're not going to hard fork it, change it like that. Um, uh, yeah, it's interesting. We can use the same technology, the same primitives in Bitcoin, just not on the base layer, but on other layers. Um Specifically in CoinJoin coordination. Um, there are a lot of zero knowledge proofs uh, in CoinJoins. Like, uh, even the old Zero Link CoinJoin protocol uh, was using Chomian blind signatures, right? Those, uh, like, that's a zero knowledge proof, basically. Um, it's very limited, zero knowledge proof, and it doesn't really, like, it has some, because we use that, we have some weird downsides. Like, for example, every user needs to get exactly the same amount. Um, like in Wasabi's case, 0.1 Bitcoin. Like, uh, and this means we have a minimum denomination, right? If you want to be part of the CoinJoin, you got to have at least 10 million sats. Well, that's a fortune, right? So that sucks that only the rich whales, basically, uh, who are like Satoshi fucking multi-millionaires, like ridiculous, like the, only the aristocrats basically can use CoinJoin. <laughs> so that sucks. Um, but it also means that, uh, like, we cannot do any payments inside the CoinJoin, right? Because you will never want to send exactly 0.101258923Bitcoin, like some arbitrarily chosen number. Like that's not going to be the payment that you want to make, right? So payments in a CoinJoin basically become impossible just because of the cryptographic layer itself. Um, And these were some of the major, major downsides that we had in CoinJoin over the last, well, couple of years. Um, And we're about to improve that by quite a lot with research that has been going on for like a year and a half now uh, at Wasabi. Um, and basically the result of that is a complete new coin join protocol called Wabi-Sabi. Um, and just as a quick aside, this is some- uh, uh, I remember you kind of telling
0: but... me about some of this stuff last time. So, so, so go ahead, go ahead, riff away.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, and again, Wabi-Sabi uses advanced zero knowledge proofs. Uh, And we even use Patterson commitments and confidential transactions, right? So we take all of the research that the Monero guys have done, and we just copy it and use it for Bitcoin, right? Um, And that's what I'm saying. Like, the Monero people are actually doing interesting shit. And we can use it, right? And just because the technology comes from a shitcoin doesn't mean it's bad technology and that we cannot use it for Bitcoin. Quite the contrary, actually. Um, So we use all of this advanced magic um, to coordinate arbitrary value coin joins. Um, basically, like, and that's just fucking genius. Um, like, it has multiple aspects. Um, mainly that, for example, you can register multiple inputs. Like, all of a sudden, you have five inputs registered in the coin join. But even the coordinator does not know that one person controls all of these five coins. Right? The, the this like a common ownership uh, heuristic is completely broken uh, just by the cryptography that we use. Um, and another thing is you can register multiple outputs, right? You can like pay to five addresses in one single transaction and the coordinator will not know that these five transactions got paid to by the same user, right? Quite ridiculous. And even like each of these outputs can have completely arbitrary values. Like they can be whatever you want, but there's no cryptographic link between the inputs and the outputs in the coordination of this coin join. And that just gives us like a blank slate to do whatever the fuck we want with collaborating bitcoin transactions uh, and that has such a bright future ahead mm
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting so so where cuz that's not a technically a base layer or a second layer solution that that's how would you categorize that as a privacy like would you call it just a client side solution for privacy or like
1: yeah it's it's basically a client side solution for privacy and
0: mm.
1: mainly just a, a solution for privacy based on how you build your bitcoin transaction mm. right you can be very naive with building your bitcoin transaction very lonely all by yourself by right? clustering all your inputs that everyone knows that they're owned by the same person and exactly knowing where you spent the coins on in the future and where you received them in the past right it's like that's that's the easy, the naive, the super simple to do is something we could do like 10 years ago, right? Um, but uh, basically a CoinJoin is like the next level of that. We can coordinate a transaction with hundreds of users trustlessly mm-hmm. that nobody can mm-hmm. steal and that nobody can spy on each other, right? Um, and all of a sudden, if we have like a, a Bitcoin transactions with 500 users, right, spending like, I don't know, 700 inputs and <laughs> creating 500 yeah, outputs.
0: Good luck trying, like, to, figure, good luck trying to untangle t- that. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. But but I mean, there's there's one thing here. Like the Wabi Sabi cryptography fixes the coordination, right? Of how do we talk to each other to build this gigantic collaborative transaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, there's more nuance here, right? Let's say if you have a hundred inputs and uh, like a hundred outputs, right? Ninety nine percent, uh, ninety nine of these inputs are like between the value zero point five and one Bitcoin, right? but then you have this one gigantic input worth of 100 Bitcoin, right? And on the output side, again, you have like 99 outputs worth roughly 0.5, 0.1 to to one Bitcoin, right? But then you have this output worth 100 Bitcoin again, right? And obviously you can link that that this one person put 100 Bitcoin in and got 100 Bitcoin out. That's very easy to figure out just by looking at the blockchain data, right? So we still have to pay attention, especially when when we want to make a privacy-focused transaction, that the value of the inputs and the value of the outputs are set up in such a way that it makes it especially difficult to find out which input paid which output. Um, and there are many ways to do that. I mean, the easiest way is just by having exactly the, the same amount. right? So if everyone has exactly one Bitcoin in, one Bitcoin out, right? I mean, there's no way that you could mathematically link any one of these to the other just based on number theory. Um, But there are other nice ways to do that. Like for example, Knapsack, uh, which I don't even want to get into now, um, that kind of basically depends on um, like, your value of the output depends on the value of the other user's outputs, something like that, um, or inputs. So, And this is somewhat of a mix that we will be using in in the Wabi Sabi coin joints that we will run with Wasabi 2.0. It's like a mix of the standard amounts So we're like a small group of users have exactly the same amount of Bitcoin in their outputs, which provides like provable uh, privacy and like provably difficult to break, Um, but also enabling um, like custom amounts just, you know, for saving on block space or even for making payments. Um, So, so yeah, these are like some of the things that we can do uh, now. But it's still uh, some a lot of difficult nuances to be figured out with the amount organization.
0: Crazy man! When, when people say oh, there's no development happening on Bitcoin, it's just it's laughable. Like the, 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 we're literally we're literally building, you know the we're at the cutting edge. Um, it's wild. Okay. So we've spoken philosophy, we've spoken some practicality. Is there anything else, any other threads you want to pull on um, in between these two worlds?
1: Um, well, I think maybe like the very interesting thing is to put all the nice privacy technology that we have worked on in the past and to find interesting ways to putting them together. Um, mm. Like for example, like coin swaps are fascinating. Like uh, to swap the ownership of non-chain UTXO with someone else is genius. And we see that with the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network is a coin swap implementation basically. Mm. Um, um, and it, it has great privacy potential uh, although I, I would say that currently uh, a lot of that potential is not yet reached, uh, like there are some serious privacy fuck ups in Lightning, uh, but we have ways to fix them. Um, and it's like it will get a lot better with things like Taproot, for example. All of a sudden with Taproot, your on-chain footprint of a Lightning network in the cooperative case looks indistinguishable from a single mm-hmm. signature user. And right? so that's a massive, massive win for the on-chain privacy of Lightning. Um, mm-hmm. And we can go even further with that i mean just imagine man like uh, a a wabi-sabi type coin join coordinated amongst hundreds of taproot users right where where we spend like many many hundreds of inputs and generate many many hundreds of outputs everything looks like a single sick and uh, a single public key right but under the hood, what's going on is is like people setting up advanced inheritance schemes that were potentially like their heirs might spend Bitcoin, uh, and some are opening a Lightning Network channel directly inside the coin join. Right? We can we can like is we'll some weird ring signature magic that with Lightning Network you don't even have to reveal which of the coins you actually own. Like there is just such a vast, crazy amount of design space that we can use inside the Bitcoin network with all these many small parts that we have. Um, it's kind of like uh, like the philosophy of Wabi Sabi itself. I mean, we didn't come up with the name. Uh, this is a, a, an Asian philosophy of finding beauty in broken things. And I think the name mm. is so fitting, right? Because like Bitcoin privacy is kind of broken. I mean, seriously, like, it's, it's not where it should be, far from it. And especially the way that we use it today is just disrespectful <laughs> um, and we can do a lot better. Um, so what we try to achieve with Wasabi and kind of what our vision is, is that we will take all these broken pieces, um, put them together into a beautiful shape of the vase that it was before, and then fill the cracks with gold right? Mm. To create beauty out of broken things, right? To put things together in a nice intuitive way that just works, right? Um, And I think that type of mindset has a phenomenal potential in terms of Bitcoin privacy, usability, scaling, right? Sure, it's broken on all fronts, like Bitcoin sucks if you look at it closely, right? Uh, But we have many kind of genius intuitive ways of how we can use the Kind of broken technology at our disposal to still nevertheless build something utmost beautiful as private scalable and intuitive to use uh, and like with with that type of vision i can really see bitcoin succeed in the long run
0: very eloquently put um i mean i i i guess broken is maybe a strong word at least for me i think um You know, Bitcoin. If Bitcoin only solved the problem of um, not being able to corrupt the money supply, and this is sort of where we stopped, I think it's a huge, huge win. But yeah, like like I think maybe to augment what you said, there is that with with this approach. I think the word you mentioned earlier was "design space." Is that like this has the capacity to? do things based on the strength of the the bitcoin bitcoin's digital primitives that we could not do with anything else with any um degree of surety um or uh i guess security like B- bitcoin is that fun we can do all of this stuff now because those ingredients are actually there and and i guess this is part of staying vigilant. This is part of continuing to push the envelope, um, but thinking about which envelope we're pushing and not just fucking willy-nilly like whether you're Ethereum or any of these other idiots and just, you know, willy-nilly changing everything at the baseline. It's just so stupid. Whereas this approach is far more, um, I guess, deep and well thought through and, Yeah, I love
1: it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just things like multi-signature are such a, like, mind-bogglingly invention. Like, I am just flabbergasted that humans came up with that shit. Like, ridiculous. Like, this is... I I even wrote a bachelor thesis on this. Like, this is non-simulated, shared ownership of a scarce asset. Like, that is so ridiculous. Um, Like, Mm, what does that mean? mm. So... We have a scarce asset, right? like, a, like, a, like a T-shirt, right? Either you wear it or I wear it. Uh, like a gold coin, either you hold it or I hold it. Like a Bitcoin UTXO, right? It's either yours or it's mine. And either you can spend it or, or I can spend it, right? Um, so there's a potential of conflict over who can control these scarce resources, right? As we spoke about earlier. Um, and you know, the way that we solve that is with property rights, right? with clear definitions of who can spend what. But the thing is that so far, these were somewhat simulated constructs, right? You had a piece of paper that said you own this house. Well, you know, but someone just comes in and and knocks in the door and, you know, uh, uh, like uh, screams at you and and chases you out with guns. Um, Well, it's no longer yours, right? You can no longer really use it. So property rights kind of fail to actually defend the property, right? And with Bitcoin, we have like this way to cryptographically, like enforce the property. Like a Bitcoin, like no single Bitcoin UTXO, no single Bitcoin was ever stolen. Not once, not one time, right? That's, that's so crazy, right? Every Bitcoin, every unspent transaction output has a script that absolutely clearly defines mathematically under which conditions this coin can be spent again, right? For example, the script says, uh, here's a public key, right? And this coin can only be spent if someone provides a signature that is valid to this public key. Like, that was the definition of who can spend it. And there's fucking no way to spend this unless you fulfill the definition, unless you provide a valid signature. Like, there's just no way. It has never happened before. Um, And this is so ridiculous. I mean just alone to have this on the individual scale, right? That one individual can, can own this property in a way that it's just mathematically fucking impossible that anyone can take it from him, that anyone can spend it in a different way that is not according to the will specified in the Bitcoin script itself. Uh, but it goes even more crazy with multi-signatures because all of a sudden we can we can define a contract that multiple spending conditions have to be fulfilled, Right. A signature from both this public key and the other public key, right? Um, and all of a sudden, we have this construct where we can together, like two people uh, control this asset, actually own the asset in a way that it is impossible for them to spend unless they agree and put their signatures voluntarily on uh, on the transaction. Like this is such a mind-blowing concept that we figured out how to manifest property rights in cryptography in a way that it's just unbreakable this is such a powerful machine
0: dude it's it's wild it's um it's it is literally the the thing that gets like i said through the great filter this is why i'm just so adamant that it's um the most important invention of uh of humankind like i anyway i can't add anything to what you just said other than i agree (laughs) it's just it's a beautiful thing so look we've done a marathon here is there any final thoughts that you want to uh that you want to add other than that um eloquent piece you just put forward then
1: Well, I I guess, you know, always a final note is uh, act, like, become active, Mm -hmm. like, think for yourself, right? And act upon what you come to understand. Um, That's, that's like the general advice that goes, that goes always, right? Um, And I've been doing a lot of thinking recently on, uh, like, how to get people to actually do that, right? And, I think in in the Bitcoin space, we've done a phenomenal, phenomenal job with creating content and sharing that content. Like over the last years, so many fabulous minds have started to speak up and to voice their opinions and to share their opinions with others. Uh, This has just advanced the general understanding of Bitcoin by so many individuals to an unspeakable extent. Like this is such great work. I mean, like seriously, well done. Um, But... I've like for me always this like content accumulation is always only the first step, like sure, it's great that you listen to all the Bitcoin podcasts, right, but are you actually thinking about the topics right are you actually for yourself coming up with interesting solutions to these problems right and are you for yourself thinking of how to improve the situation right um like that's the first thing like to to get you to think, and the question is how to do that um And I think it is with somewhat forcing actions or with making the situation very uncomfortable uh, so that action becomes required. Because thought always uh, comes before action, right? You're going to have to think about it before you act, uh, always. Uh, That's just how how humans work. Um, I don't know about some humans. (laughs) I'm kidding. Yeah, well, uh, maybe they they ought to work at least the way that I like to think about it. Um, <laughs> Sorry,
0: can, can continue, continue. I cut you off there. Yeah.
1: Um. So so yeah, but uh, and this is like one of the the methods of learning that I've come to love in my uh, like seeking for understanding of economics and praxeology and Austrian economics. Um. And this is the Socratic method. Um. Like that's mm-hmm. basically. Well, it's a way to have a good a good conversation, right? And to uh, find interesting questions, right? And to think about the question and to question the question first of all, uh, if that is even addressing a problem that is meaningful, right? Or is this actually a, a a condensed articulation of a question that will lead us to discovering the solution to a problem, right? And then once we found a good question, well to actually think about it, right, and to propose different solutions to that question, and to think which one is is like accurate, right, and and a, a truthful depictions of how things are, uh, or at least getting there. Um, so, like I I learned that with uh, in economics with the, the Mises Kreis, like the Mises Circle, which was like this ancient seminar that Ludwig von Mises did in in Vienna. Uh, every Friday, uh, just you know, getting together uh, in a room and talking about all things in economics, right, and asking each other questions and like really like thinking about the stuff, uh, like for hours and hours and hours until late night at the bar, right. Uh, and I I just love that method of conversing to foster a serious conversation that's actually meaningful, um, and. I've been organizing a lot of these Socratics all all over the place, but now recently I'm I'm actually like I've built basically a uh, like my own uh, lecture room or, or university room uh, to hold specifically these Socratic seminars uh, at TowardsLiberty dot uh, and the, yeah, so it's like it's I it's I think something that is a bit missing or that w- that was underdeveloped in the educational effort so far. Uh, again awesome job on content creation but really getting people involved to think for themselves Mm, mm -hmm. right that is kind of the next step that that we somehow have to figure out to provide at scale interesting i guess
0: have have you found that more difficult in a world of these crazy social distancing rules and all this sort of stuff like
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, like, uh, there's nothing like a good meat space conversation right, where you can look mm. each other in the eye uh, mm. and shake hands and, you know, converse on many more layers than just the verbal uh, or even visual. Right. Um, so yeah, that's for sure a hindrance in communication. I mean, it's a, a massive one at that. Right. So, uh, but I mean, you know, that's why we built cyberspace uh, to to converse and to share our ideas. Um, you know, even when we're not together in meet space. And I mean, that's awesome. Like, it's it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just it's a bit different. But it has the the massive upside of being able to talk to anyone. I mean, we're talking right now, just sitting across the globe. Right? Uh, we could not have had this awesome conversation over the last three hours, right? Without this type of technology. And yes, we missed out on the interpersonal face-to-face, like real human interaction in meet space. But, well, at least we shared our ideas, right? And uh, hopefully learned something from it and advanced our understanding of how things are. So we still get a lot of the benefits. Um, but, but again, like um, the, the challenge is that it's so easy to just consume the content to get stuck watching netflix playlists or uh, like youtube playlists or podcasts just on repeats not even Mm. thinking about the stuff that is being said but just accumulating it right just like being blasted with it that is super easy in cyberspace right because there's just an infinite ocean of information yeah yeah
0: it's the the interaction the 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 level of interaction is much lower and that's why you need the you need the back and forth I, i guess Action reaction is something that happens across all dimensions and across all layers of existence. And I think that's, um, that is a real difficulty in, in cyberspace, but I guess the maybe a point to make there is that, you know, whoever's listening to this is if you've got people around you, friends, family and everything is like, have these discussions, open them up, fucking think. Um, and, you know maybe because i'm guilty of this as well sometimes just being so sick and tired of being surrounded by idiots that i just sort of get lost in you know my audio books or get lost in reading or get lost in these things because you just don't want to be subject to that crap but the, the the dialogue must continue and, and specifically it must be a dialogue um or a multi-log not just a not just a you know monologue
1: Uh, Yes, like fundamentally, I agree. But I still think that thinking critically by yourself is a very meaningful Mm. exercise. I Mm -hmm. mean, just contemplating things in your own head, like writing stuff down in in the diary, for example, extremely powerful, because, again, it forces you to act like consciously make choices in how you articulate your thoughts. Right? That is what critical thinking is about uh, and stuff like journaling, right? It's not just the, the mind stream that you have, like the monkey brain that is just chatting on constantly. You actually have to pick out of that unlimited potential concrete actions, concrete words. Um, and that aspect in and of itself is already useful. Um, but of course, where where other people come in is kind of the peer review, right? You can put out a point. And they can share their point of view on that argument, right, and see if it's a good argument or a bad argument, if it's truthful or not, right. And this type, this interaction, right, will give you new input to think about. Right, you will always need new input. Like you cannot f- discover anything like uh, completely isolated. Like there's always external input that starts the thinking process, right. Um, uh, so getting really fresh input from another person. Is much easier than trying to come up with fresh content all by yourself. Right? It's it's possible just based on critical thinking, but much more difficult than if someone else expresses a point of view.
0: Mm-hmm. The I agree. I was going to say the I was going to use the Matt Ridley term is sort of like the ideas having sex. It's like you know these things come together. But absolutely. All right, my man. Well, look. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for this discussion um, and for reaching out for coming on. I think um, we've covered so much ground both philosophically um, and also from a, from an actual practical standpoint that people can see that it's not just, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, maybe this is a good way to sign it off, is cypherpunks don't just um, act but we think before we act. <laughs> And you know, Bitcoiners are a great manifestation of that. Is you know, we we philosophize and you know pontificate and everything like that, but we also do stuff um, along the way. And and I, and you know, if if anyone's going to inherit the world, it's going to be it's going to be the Bitcoiners, the, the 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 men and women of action. And um, and and I think may, maybe to close this off, you can tell the listeners and everyone, you know, what your surname actually means because that i think is a great mental image for the kind of uh warriors that, that bitcoiners are um, and it fucking perfectly suits you
1: yeah so Hillebrand is a uh, old germanic n- a name and it has many variants in, in in today but the the root are two germanic words um uh, Hille which is the sword and brand which is uh, uh fire uh, so this is literally the fiery sword um, and in in the tradition of the name like this name was was granted to the the, Germ- the germanic warrior uh who went into battle courageously right, uh, and and fought for well, I, I guess what is right uh, uh and uh, what he deemed meaningful and who acted right who who took his sword and did stuff <laughs> um uh, so that 's at least how I like to think about the name uh, and it's uh, like it's uh, i like it i think it 's a good one and and as you say like we have many heroes in Bitcoin that, that deserve, uh, such a name, uh, who actually go out courageously <laughs> and, and act. I mean, you're for sure one of them. Thank uh, you. So, so now yeah. like, uh, I'm, I'm honored to have such a strong tribe uh, of, of peers around me that, you know, have principles uh, that can think critically and that have the courage uh, to do so and to act, uh, creatively and in, in unexpected ways. Um, like it's it's really it's an, it's an honor to have you by my side. Uh, like the this whole fight would be not worth it uh, if if not for the strong communities that we can build uh, in Absolutely. in fighting this utmost evil. Uh, so it's something that really brings people together. Uh, and honestly, I mean the Bitcoin drive is just yeah it's 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 outstanding. Uh, so it's it's really an, a massive honor and pleasure to to share this humongous work that we that we have to do um and that we are doing like it's it's a great burden and a great responsibility uh but well with peers like this it's also a hella fun
0: it is my man it is all right brother thank you very much um we're signing off and i'll see everyone on the next episode